does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Yeah, to be fair, Mark Dykton, if you'd asked me last November the first time we would have a alarm snafu with Jake Query, I would have guessed probably sometime in the first 12 months. Yep. We've hit month 13, mm-hmm. and you just got off the phone with Jake Query and a little groggy, but he will be in this morning? He'll be in in about 20 minutes. Yeah, usually, okay. uh, usually he's the first one in. You're usually usually the straggler, and uh, it was going to be 6:58. I'm like, man, no Jake. That's weird. It's like, well, let me give him a call. Rang, rang, rang. Voicemail. Five seconds later, my alarm didn't go off. I'll be in in 20. <laughs> okay. I mean, here's his headset looking pristine this morning. Yesterday we had a little issue there to start the show, um, but nonetheless, I guess Jake will join us here. Maybe for the boarding checkdown. Is it at this point where I like wipe away the zero, like the days without an incident? Yes. And it's now it's zero, zero, you know. Yeah, I'm picturing the Wilt Chamberlain like picture hosting or uh, <laughs> we should have hold that up. Yeah, later. we should probably have Jake do that today. Good Tuesday morning to you. Uh, another chilly start here in Indianapolis. I am Kevin Bowen. That is Mark Dyke and Jake Query will join us here in a few. Mark, welcome back. From Thank Nashville. You. Thank you. Good to be back. Fun time down there? Very fun. So we went to the Gaylord Opryland Hotel, and uh, we'd been there before, like, just to walk around. Uh-huh. Never stayed there. It is absolutely gorgeous. I can't recommend it more highly, especially around the holidays. I mean, they do it They do it right. Uh, there's this exhibit called Ice. Have you ever seen it? No. So they have, every year, I guess it's different, where it's a different theme of, like, a Christmas story or theme. This year was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There's a giant event center area. It's nine degrees inside. You wear like you bundle up and they give you like a parka. Okay. And the entire room is hand sculpted ice sculptures of that story reenacted. Oh wow. So they had like a giant Rudolph the Rendon's reindeer, giant abominable snowman. That's really cool. They have an ice slide you go down. It was mind blowing. Yeah. That, that, that was would, like, that it was incredible. It takes months pictures. to put together. Yeah. So I'm like, how do they do this? How do they take it out when it's done? Uh-huh. But it was unbelievable. Very cool. Yeah, I'll have to show you some pictures. It was it was unbelievable. My, my, my mind was blown the whole time. So, did that, did a couple other things, but the girls loved it. Great time. And then uh, did a little gambling in French Lick yesterday. Ooh, so that I love fun. that. Yeah. Nice. I uh, I lost last time I was down there. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw 20 bucks go bye-bye. Uh, yeah, mine went away really quickly. It's kind of like the Saints' uh, chances of improving the Colts. I was going to say, with ice, we could have gone with Tom Brady late last night or Andrew Nemhard late last night. For those that did not stay up, and I totally get that because, obviously, if you were ones that actually watched that debacle of a fourth quarter on Monday Night Football, you probably were thinking, or on Sunday Night Football, you probably were thinking, all right, I'm going to get a little rest tonight. The Pacers are missing Halliburton, McConnell, no Miles Turner. Uh, Golden State only had Andrew Wiggins out last night. The Pacers were, I think the line rose to, I believe it was 11 and a half at tip-off. And yet, Indiana, for the second straight Monday, they record one of those wins that we'll look back on at the end of the year and think back to, that is an unbelievable highlight. And Andrew Nemhard was incredible. Um, 
I think it's a Colts bye week, so I can probably squeeze in on my calendar. Maybe we need to build a little statue next to Benedict Matherin for his rookie mate right now. You're the statue man. You're passing out statues left and right. Yeah, what? Early on, Mark, am I wrong with how these two rookies have played? No, I mean, it's, not at all. With what Nemhard has done, and last night, 31 for him, 13 assists, Eight rebounds. He's the only point guard on the roster. He's taking charges in the fourth quarter. He's hitting step back threes in Steph Curry's face. It was unbelievable to witness. And again, it's second night of a back to back. It's Golden State having one ten straight at home. It's Curry playing. It's Thompson playing. It's Draymond playing. Jordan Poole's playing. Um, it was pretty impressive to watch. Not only that, but the Pacers had a lead early on. They actually had a great first quarter. Golden State comes back in the second. The Pacers are somewhat in control with a little bit of a lead throughout the third. And then Golden State, I think, took the lead, boy, it felt like three, maybe four times in the fourth quarter. And every single time, Indiana answered right away. And again, this is with a lineup of a Nemhard, O'Shea Brissett's getting 31 minutes off the bench. You know, Benedict Matherin gets his first start. Jalen Smith is the solo big guy out there. Um, one of the wins of the year, no matter what happens the rest of the way. And just in general, with how much they've leaked oil on this Western trip so far, they needed that last night so badly. When you kept, like, at least for me, like when the gets to the fourth quarter and the Warriors are starting to take leads here and there, I'm like, it's just a matter of time. Sure. They're going to step on their throats at some point. It never happened. The Pacers just kept answering shot after shot. You saw at one point Steph Curry watching an Emhard shot go in again. Oh, he just shook like, his what head. What the hell? He's like, what is going on here? Who is this guy? You know, the more you watch Nemhard, again, I watched a good amount of him at Gonzaga. I even watched him at Florida. You know, it felt like he was a guy that, you know, if you're a coach, you like when he's on the floor for you. I mean, he does the right thing. Um, there, there's a comfort level when he's out there. But what he was doing last night, and we've seen this before, like he is unafraid to be the scorer for you when that is needed. Be the creator for you when that is needed. And last night, he looked like Halliburton in terms of that great balance of score, facilitator, all of those things. The numbers speak for themselves. And again, just the variety of shots. I mean, he got in the lane, threw some beautiful lobs to Isaiah Jackson. Um, and then the step back with with Curry, like you said, Mark. Steph just kind of shaking his head, running the other way down the floor. Oh, what a win for Indiana last night. Again, coming off a of back-to-back, they're now 5-0 and this season on back-to-backs. It's unbelievable. And how long have you been asking for a Pacers team to have a guy like Andrew Nemhard, someone who's a role guy off the bench that's not afraid to shoot it. You've been you've been thirsting for it. Oh yeah. And now you've got a guy here that's, you know, throwing up thirty one and thirteen and forty one minutes. Mark goes in the YouTube chat, since Jake gives out his phone number, would it be helpful if we all called him around six AM? That might be good. He might be alarmed with all those calls coming it in, but hey might be needed for tomorrow. Might be. Yeah. Which is hilarious because I didn't get back we didn't get back from French Look until like twelve thirty this morning. Oh gosh. and I'm here. Were you, was that at the casino to that hour? So the girls and Ashley went to the pool, and they're like, you going to go swimming? I'm like, no, I'm not going swimming. Not right now. I'll be swimming on my there's chips. A, there's a casino down the down the way. So Ashley's like, go ahead. So I left. I was watching a little bit of Bucks and Saints, and because uh, they have a sports book there, which I did not, yeah. I was not uh-huh. aware of. Did that, did some gambling, 
I uh, was up for a little bit, and then I got a little greedy and it lost it. That's like, okay. Like you said, the Saints could have helped the Colts out last night, could have bumped them up to the eighth spot in the draft order, and for, what, 55 minutes, Tampa Bay looked dead. I mean, just dead. 16-3, to weren't really moving it at all, and then all of a sudden, lightning in a bottle, Tampa... The first touchdown was, what, like three minutes ago? Yeah, they, it helped that they got a 44-yard pass oh, interference huge penalty. Pass interference. Uh, Mike Evans right by the goal line. So that was an easy setup there. And then the uh, Bucks defense just shut down Andy Dalton finally. on the. With, uh, they went three and out in like 20 seconds, I think. And they punted the ball back to the Bucks. That's then, when you could have gone to bed, right? Yeah, yeah. But Tom Brady, ball in his hand. It was pretty magical. Took the lead with three seconds left. And Bucks go on to win it. And that was kind of a wild play. That was a third and goal from the six that they scored on with like eight seconds to go. I mean, that was no guarantee of like... Well, they got a holding penalty. It looked like it was going to be a, a touchdown because Chris Godwin caught a touchdown pass and then it got called back because of a holding penalty. And then I think they were looking at... It was like almost like third and 20 or something like that. And they finally got got the ball in with with three seconds left. So, unbelievable. Bucks do it again. Tom Brady does again. They, they are alive. Six and six in the NFC South. And, you know, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks now. It continues to look this way, and really, it's probably whoever's going to finish second in the NFC East, and at this point, it looks like Dallas. Dallas at Tampa continues to be a first-round matchup. And that's how we opened the season, isn't it? Wasn't it Bucks and was it Bucks and Cowboys on the Sunday night game? Was that the first one? That sounds right. I think that's that, how we started. The, or was that the Super Bowl year Tampa came back and had that week one? Because we opened the season on the Thursday nighter with Buffalo right, Rams. Right, I think the Sunday night game was Bucks and okay. Cowboys. I believe that's correct. Um, so yeah, Tampa comes back, wins last night. Uh, I found it interesting that was only Brady's second ever fourth quarter comeback in down thirteen or more. Uh, the Falcons in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Excuse me, being the other one. It was his latest comeback, too, with only three seconds left to win. That was also the latest it's ever been uh, in his career for him them to actually pull out the win with only three seconds left. Got it. Raiders and Rams, that will be Thursday night football this week. Going back to Nemhard for a second, you know, he also drew the assignment of Steph Curry last night. Steph went three of 17. Like, these are the things with Nemhard that we're now... What, the Pacers are 13-11? and 11. So, you know, we're 24 games into the season. And he does not play on opening night, which now looking back on it, you're kind of like, wait, what? And you watch all the roles that Rick Carlisle's thrown him into since. None of them have been necessarily, until really last night and Sunday night, none of them have been the role that I think he's best suited for, or at least the role that they really thought when they drafted him in that, he is going to be a backup point guard of the future. Now, the beauty is at Gonzaga, especially with Jalen Suggs as a junior versus Jalen Suggs not at Gonzaga as a senior, he was a guy that played a variety of roles in college, and yet he's handled them beautifully well here at the NBA level, where it's, again, drawing big-time defensive assignments. We saw him defend Tyler Hero to end the game you know, probably about a month ago at this point. Obviously, the game winner in LeBron's face last Monday, and then last night, just doing everything for this team. You know, when I saw Halliburton and McConnell were out Sunday night against Portland, I thought to myself, can they clone Andrew Nemhard? Like that, I mean, I, where's Lance? I mean, you, you, you literally need another point guard. Uh, same thing last night with McConnell 
and Halliburton both out. Uh, Nemhard just, I mean, he had Steve Kerr gushing after the game. And Rick Carlisle, of course, talking about a redraft and where Andrew Nemhard would go if you redrafted the 2022 draft. So uh, when you talk about the short term, the Pacers desperately needing to salvage something out of this Western uh, road trip. They get that. They're now 2-4. and four. It'll end with Minnesota on Wednesday, 2-4 and four on this Western road trip before they're finally back home for Friday and Saturday, back-to-back. And then big picture, you know, puzzle pieces, Nemhard without question fits into this puzzle. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about this season is you're seeing the young guys step up big time. I mean, you knew Benedict Matherin was going to be something special. I don't know if any of us thought we were going to get Andrew Nemhard to this degree, especially this early on in the season. Yeah, I thought poor man's Brogdon, yeah. Mark, but I thought poor man's Brogdon a little bit more point guard, less score. And he showed me more score than I thought was in him, to be honest with you. It just a variety of ways he's doing it. And now I'm starting to think, well, yeah, he can be Halliburton's backup of the future, but he can also be a sidekick. Not not necessarily in the starting lineup, but at times. Six man of the year candidate going forward. Yeah, like point. those sorts of things. Um, you know, you can mix and match with him. And of course, he helps you out on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, very, very impressed by Andrew. Nemhard. Um, we'll talk a little Jeff Brom today. Uh, certainly a lot of chatter out of Louisville in their pursuit, likely pursuit of Jeff Brom. Tom, Tom Deanhart going to join us at 8 o'clock, covers Purdue for On3.com. And then Bob Kravitz at 9. Bob, of course, had his story on the Colts needing to go after Jim Harbaugh. I'm going to post something to the website here probably tomorrow list of coaching candidates um, for the Colts. I felt like it was kind of a good bye week exercise for me to do, so we'll get to that coming up a little bit later in the week. Again, Jay Query currently running down uh, you think he's straight down Pennsylvania, Meridian? Where do you think he's at right now? Alarm did not You think go he's actually running like Steve Martin and like planes, trains, <laughs> and automobiles trying yes. to catch that cap from Kevin Bacon? I would love that. He's like jumped on the back of the red line. Yeah. Somebody give me a ride. Maybe he's maybe he's riding his arch nemesis, one of those scooters. To be fair, yeah, the empty seat on YouTube Live just looks kind of depressing. Yeah, it is sad. Should we fill that with anything for the time being? Yeah, I can put off just... a picture. I can find a picture of Jake. I keep thinking he's going to walk in any second. But yeah, if you'd like me to pull up some Jake Query pictures, we can post that for the time being just so it doesn't look so, so dank over there. Gosh, that is just kind of sad to see. Jake will join us here in a few minutes. Uh, Mark, any thoughts lingering from Colts, Cowboys, Andor? I, I did feel bad about your Bears, man. I just so seemed like Rogers doing it again. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe you were happy. I, I wasn't disappointed. I mean, again, we're, from what I saw from Justin Fields, again, how can I be upset with that? At some point, don't you want to see him finish some of these I things? I do off? want to see it, but at the same time, I look at the cast of cast of characters around him, and I'm like, half of these guys aren't going to be here next year. The offensive line is still woeful. The weapons around him are not great. So, while I would like to see it, I'm not upset that the the Bears are locking down the second overall pick, it looks like, and it will have the ability to fleece somebody who wants a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young. Um, so, yeah, disappointing to lose the Packers, but not the worst thing when you're trying to get a second seed and rebuild this entire team going forward in 2023. The Colts, Cowboys, oh, my God, I watched that game in uh, at the Opryland Hotel, and I was just like, 
looking at Ashley, I'm like, this is unbelievable, this fourth quarter that I'm watching. Like, Dude. every time the Colts touched the ball, it seemed like they were just butterfingers, throwing it to nowhere. Cowboys were all over it. I was like, this is absurd what I'm watching right now. It was almost like when I play Ashley in Madden, I just start picking the ball off and just routing her. That was kind of what it was. It was like me playing Ashley in Madden where I just run up the score and she's like, okay, let's 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 not do this anymore. Good for Ashley for being a good sport about she, that. She, hey, I mean, that's how we started dating. She was playing Madden with me and all that really? stuff. Really? So we got the new Madden and she's like, let's let's do this again. And I picked it off like six times in a row. And I was, she's like, okay. Boy, nothing says love at first sight like that. Yeah. yeah. And when I'm calling... How do you like that? You know, when I'm calling pick Cover sixes, zero blitz. As she throws it up in the air, I'm like, Ashley, what are you doing? Pick it off, run it back. She's like, okay, let's watch the kids now. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's kind of how it was. And I'm just like, I think the Matt Ryan thing, I think we're over that part of it i think we have been for a while yeah time to bench him just watching it i'm just like dude what are we doing right now like what are you getting out of this and i know i've said before nick Foles isn't going to give you anything that matt ryan isn't already but you might as well see what you can do what's the harm at this point yeah and again mark i tried to make this clear yesterday and i'll reiterate it today the benefits in benching matt ryan extend past necessarily what can Nick Foles and Sam Ellinger do for you right now? I think there's benefit there. Because I, I totally hear people out there like, continue to play Ryan because you want to lose games. The financial aspect you cannot ignore. And again, $17 million he would be due if he were to get hurt in these final four weeks. He looks hurt to me. Jeff Saturday, I didn't really get the Jeff Saturday answer yesterday. I asked him, you know, is there anything lingering with Matt's right shoulder? Because there's no way... The QB that I'm watching on Sunday night is the same QB I saw in week two or week three. And I'm not acting like Matt Ryan is throwing a 92-mile-per-hour fastball in week three, but it had more velocity on it than that thing on Sunday night. And Jeff was like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I haven't asked him about that. You know, I kind of stay away from guys in their injury situations. I'm like, what do you mean? That's got to be one of the first things that you would ask a quarterback. He has a right shoulder injury. Of course, that guy is going to tell you, I feel good. Um, I think when you watch the film with the eye test, to me, it's pretty obvious this is not the same quarterback that even was there earlier in the year, which had some turnover issues. So, again, from the financial component, staying away from throwing $17 million at him would be a big reason why I would bench him. And then to your point, Mark, you throw Foles in there. Foles and Ellinger, no matter who starts, you're not going 4-0 in the Final Four. No. So you throw Foles out there, and maybe you get a better evaluation of some of your offensive guys. You throw Ellinger out there, maybe you get a better evaluation on him moving forward for the future. Uh, so those th- those two angles for Foles and Ellinger specifically are different than, again, the Ryan angle, which has such a financial component to it. I mean, I was just laughing at one point. I'm like, I can't believe they keep putting him out there at this point. Like what During that fourth quarter, I'm like, why is he still in? Like, What are they doing? What I is mean, the goal here? I've seen enough blowout to my day, the quarterback never stays in the game like that. I, I was never. dumbfounded by that. Yeah, I'm like, what are you expecting to gain here by leaving him out there? And like, how about the clearly, kneel down to end it? Oh yeah, the victory formation. That was the icing. That was the cherry on top of the that blank was sandwich that was that game. In a way, do you think that was the Colts saying... Mercy, pri- white flag. Prime time, there yeah. you go. Prime time football, there you go. But the Colts are going to be back. I know. In the solo time slot. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I texted you guys. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the NFL Network said, yes, Colts, pri- uh, na- national audience, let's do it again. So December a week 17th. from Saturday, 
Colts and Vikings. That will be at 1 p.m. that day. So basically what happened was at the start of the year, the NFL took five games from, what is that, week 15? Yes. Five games from week 15 and said three of the five will be played on Saturday. Uh, The Colts were in this position last year. Uh, The Colts and the Patriots ended up being a Saturday game. So you have Ravens-Browns at 4.30, Dolphins-Bills at 8.15. Both of those games make obvious sense. And then Vikings-Colts will be the 1 o'clock Saturday game. I'm trying to think the other ones that they didn't put on Saturday. I think Raiders-Patriots was a Saturday option. They elected to go against... So if you look at it, that means the Colts will play four straight games in a national window. The Monday nighter against Pittsburgh, the Sunday nighter against Dallas, the Saturday afternoon against the Vikings, and then Monday night football with the Chargers the Monday after Christmas. Um, IU plays Kansas at noon that day, so I know some attention will be there. And I think Purdue plays Davidson that day over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Some bowl games on there as well at some point. I'm sure we got a bowl game or two. Yeah, we, we will start to get into the bowl games. I'm trying to look at when that Purdue-Davidson game is. For some reason, I thought that was a little bit later in the day. Then the Indiana game. Yeah, the Indiana game is a noon tip. Uh, Purdue and Davidson is at 6.15. So. Oh, you've got, you've got Cincinnati at Louisville and the... Wasabi Fenway Bowl. You got Florida, Oregon State. So that's juicy, right? Because the Louisville coach just went to Cincinnati. Yeah, so you've got those two games on. So if you're looking for something aside from Colts, Vikings, that, that just kind of reminds me of like how many primetime and national audience games the Colts have had in a row. Reminds me of the last couple of years when the Bears have had like three or four primetime games in like a five-week window. And people are like, what the hell is this? Get them out of here. That's what's going on with the Colts right now. We're well, like, how are they still here? And like at least the Bears have Justin Fields. Well, they didn't before. That's that's n- oh, now they're last little, year. I'm talking like last year when you had you know whatever the hell you were throwing out there and stuff. Yeah, I guess Fields wasn't. But yeah, it was just like, starter. Oh my god, how are the Colts still going on? And you're like, really? <laughs> the day after Christmas, there's going to be a Monday night game with Colts and Chargers. Are we doing that still and everything? It's like, God, the NFL's got to be like, please let the flex schedule kick in for Monday nights this season. But so people in the YouTube chat are curious if Jake will get written up for this. I mean, it's a demerit for sure, right? Like, that's at least strike one. It's got to be, right? Maybe strike five with how many puns and metaphors he uses, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he'll go spin cycle on this. I can already see it now. Yep. He's like, oh, you know. Did anybody have it 13 months in? People thought it'd be, it'd, it'd be the under. That's big on me hitting the over for that He's one. already late, too, because he said 20 minutes, and now it's been 23 minutes almost. So he's already... He's struggling. Struggle bus is real on this, uh, what is it, Tuesday? Tuesday morning. So the Colts will enter their bye week mark ninth in the draft order. Carolina, Jacksonville, Arizona will all have games this weekend, which if any of them win those games, the Colts would then move up in the draft order. Arizona is hosting New England on Monday Night Football. Jacksonville is at Tennessee. And the Carolina Panthers are at at Seattle. Whew. Look okay. at the spreads of those games. All three of those are pretty manageable, to be honest with you. So uh, we'll see if the Colts can get any help on that front. I feel like they will. They'll get some help. 
Again, we are waiting the arrival of Jake Query. Should be any segment now. Tom Deanhart going to join us. Talk a little Jeff Brom in Louisville. I went back and read those Brom quotes um, about the Louisville job from this spring. And, man, I can understand at the time why Purdue fans didn't love reading those. And now that there is an opening at Louisville, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Bob Kravitz joins us at 9. Bob making a little plea for Jim Harbaugh. We'll chat more about that with him coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Another crisp, wintry morning here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, and the soon-to-arrive Jake Query on a Tuesday. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pretty magical last night in Golden State. Andrew Nemhard, 31 points. Was it 13 or 12 assists? It's a big hey, number, whatever it was. Uh, Rick Carlisle had said, what, a couple weeks ago that he was a top, that if they were redoing the draft, he'd go in the top 15. And then I think he. I think he bumped had, it up even he higher. Did. He did. Last night, 13 assists, eight rebounds. Also drew the defensive assignment of Steph Curry. It was a group effort, but still, Curry was three of 17. Here was Carlisle last night after the Pacers win on Andrew Nemhart's incredible performance. I've been saying that, you know, down the line, you know, when Hoopsite does their redraft of the of the 22 draft, he'd be a top 15 pick. I'm I'm elevating that to, you know, top 10. I mean, he's he really is a special player and uh, you know our uh, our basketball people Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and Kelly and Ted they just hit it out of the park with him this guy's got amazing poise he's strong he's old school but new school you know he's just special I think that's the big thing is the poise right I, he just just like the shot against the Lakers he just kind of goes with the flow and can do a lot of different things yeah, and you know, the thing about like poise, Jake, or when you hear about the guy plays with good pace or he's in control, I feel like usually that doesn't come with a guy that's like aggressive or when you need a play, he makes that play. Right. He does, though. Like, he he, he has a great knack for knowing when it's time to kind of well, insert himself to take over, you know, make a big drive, take kind of a challenge jumper, those things. He's just got a great basketball feel. I, I would. That's a good way of saying it. He And, and what's interesting is early in the – it's still, obviously, early in the career of Andrew Nimhart, but early in the season, I thought to myself, this is a guy that understands his ceiling and doesn't try to exceed past that. Well, now you wonder what his ceiling is, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it just moved up a couple of flights. Great problem to have for the Pacers. Uh, last night, National Football League, Tom Brady leading the Tampa Bay Bucks 17-16 win over the New Orleans Saints. Reality is this is a game that had very little implication on the Indianapolis Colts, except for, in the end, it went against the way the Colts would like. Right, Kev? Yes. Yeah, we talked about a little bit in the opener there, but uh, Tom Brady kind of does it to the Colts again in the sense that if the Saints would have won, that would have bumped in, uh, Indy up another spot. In the draft order up to eighth with the Saints losing. They'll stay at ninth there. Uh, but yeah, Brady coming back in the fourth quarter. And again, somebody's got to win the NFC South. And right now, it looks like Tampa's going to continue to host an opening round playoff game. There are four finalists for the Heisman Trophy. Stetson Bennett, USC's Caleb Williams, TCU's Max Duggan, and Ohio State's CJ Stroud. One would think, depending when the voting was done, although I don't think that the Pac-12 championship will hurt Caleb Williams no, because not he was all. hurt, right? Caleb Williams is one of the Heisman. You're certain of that, right? Now, here's the question. 
that would put USC, I believe, into the all-time Heisman one lead, except for that one of them was Reggie Bush, and that one was obviously taken away by penalty. So do you count it or not? Yeah, you do. Okay. Look at Kevin. I'm this, the is, one. this is how big of a favorite Caleb I'm Williams the is the rules. to win the Heisman. $10 bet gets you what on Caleb Williams to win the Heisman right now? If you put down ten bucks, you would win back five twenty. You'd win back forty five cents. Wow. Max wow. Duggan is the second. And if you bet ten on Duggan, you'd so get two hundred bucks. So they've already engraved it's what you're getting at. Yes. I think when Caleb Williams struck the Heisman pose against Notre Dame several times, that pretty much <laughs> you better have it locked that, up at that right? point, right? Not to stick up your nose at forty-five cents. Every every little bit goes sure. a long way. Well, that could help us, especially get, around the holidays. One eight hundred nine with it. Mark. What could that help us? Cents? Maybe get Jake an alarm clock. Maybe. That's right. Uh, hey, for whatever reason, that little toggle you know that you push. I, I do recall setting it last night. Obviously. To be fair, it it's didn't. probably one of my greatest fears every night before I go to bed. I'm like, am I going to wake well, up on time? Well, the weird thing is... But luckily, Max makes that happen. The weird thing is, and, and not to make too much of it, but I'll admit it. I'm going to hope I don't get fired for it. I, I'll take, I will take whatever <laughs> what? discipline comes my way. Um, Mark the, already ran down to our boss's office, by uh, the way. Sure. The odd thing about the fact that I slept through my alarm, and Mark, thank you for calling me to wake me up, is there have been times where theoretically things would have come up that would have made me that tired whether i was working late or had a school thing or was traveling i mean how many times did i take red eyes and come in right. I, and it's never happened and then this one theoretically other than watching the pacer game late and then s- sending you guys an email at like twelve thirty or whatever and then i went right to, i mean i usually go to bed around twelve thirty. boom for whatever reason man yeah, you were on it for the pop quiz today without Scotty. Lady Luck finally hit me. Uh, Butler's got Yale tonight. 6.30 tip over at Hinkle. Yale's 6-3 and three on the year. Butler favored by 6.5 in that one. Uh, Yale, smart players, by the way. Uh, we'll continue to chat about the Pacers and a magical night for Andrew Nemhard. Get Jake's thoughts on that. Again, a lot of probably Jeff Brom conversation, too. Tom Deanhart yeah. going to join us around 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll also talk about Purdue heading to the Citrus Bowl there, their matchup with LSU and Bob Kravitz at 9. Kevin and Corey on a Tuesday. So 23 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Good morning to you, Jet Query. Finally, along with Kevin Bowen and Mark Dykton. It is Kevin Aquari here on 107.5 The Fan. So last night, the Pacers late, winning in Golden State, 112-104. Obviously, you know, Golden State, Kevin, the reality is, it's not like this is the 21-4 and 
four Golden State Warriors that we're used to seeing, but it's still Golden State, right? I mean, they had won 10 straight at home. Yeah, Steph Curry last night, uh, 3 of 17. And they played all the guys. 2 of 10 from three-point range, yeah. Wiggins the only one that sat. Draymond Green, two points. So the Pacers go into the game, and they have, obviously, no Tyrese Halliburton. That's fairly big. No Miles Turner. That's fairly big. No TJ McConnell without Tyrese Halliburton. That's fairly big. So you know that you're going to need minutes from Still Andrew Still no Nimmo. Duarte. Yeah, no Chris Duarte. And we knew Benedict Matherin, who made his first start, was going to also have to score some points. He ends up getting 14. But Andrew Nimhard, when he was drafted, there were a lot of people, probably myself included, that were like, wait a minute, they already have two point guards. Why would they need a third? And, you know, he was coming out of, obviously, even though he, he you know played at both Florida and Gonzaga, but coming out of Gonzaga. So you knew that he had at least been in big moments. 6'3", although he looks a little bigger than that. I think of him as more like a 6'5 guy, but he's 6'3". And they, at the beginning of the season, the Pacers had kind of an open house for the media to come and just kind of do a meet and greet, if you will, with the brass of the Pacers. And during that, the one thing that I recall, and I remember admittedly kind of rolling my eyes at it, was Kevin Pritchard was effusive in his praise of Andrew Nimhard. He's like, you guys, like, this guy is really good. And I'm thinking, like, okay. I mean, I, you know, so was – they always have that, that – third. you know, Donald Sloan was a, a, a good third point guard, right? Donald Sloan. But – the thing that they kept raving about was his ability, his entry pass, and the way that he could work on like pick and rolls and, and whatever else. And he's got kind of an unorthodox shot, but he can shoot, obviously. But then he got some minutes, Kevin, and you and I have talked about it, and it's like, this guy like okay, doesn't seem too rattled. And then I mentioned earlier, I remember talking to somebody within the organization that was saying, well, the thing I really like about him is that he plays kind of within himself and doesn't try to push too hard. And I think that's tough for any rookie, right? You want to get in there and make your impact, and then you start rushing through things. This guy's poised. But to come up the way that he did last night with – I didn't know that he had that kind of scoring in it. No, no. And I I said it in the opening segment, Jake. I thought poor man's Brogdon when I watched him at Gonzaga. But I didn't think – like I think of Brogdon as a little bit more score than passer. I probably feel the rev- or felt the reverse, I should say, about Nemhard coming out of college. A little bit more passer than score. But again, similar players. But I found it interesting, and we'll have Scott Agnes on later this week, but I remember Scott talking with Mark Few in the offseason, and Mark Few mentioning, we've tried to push him more offensively. Of like, dude, it's in there. Don't be afraid to kind of take over. And I mean, we plays with Jalen Suggs and Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. I mean, Gonzaga didn't need him to score twenty two right, a night. Right. Um, so you felt like that was in there. And you know what? Maybe this is a, this is a question for Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan down the road, Jake. But I'm curious when they drafted Nemhard and they clearly were extremely high on him and you know gave him that huge money for the first pick in the second round and all that. You think about the future of this franchise. And Halliburton and Matherin being two massive pieces in the backcourt. The guys you surround those two with in the backcourt, they better be pretty accepting of their roles. Because their roles are not going to be consistent night in and night out, in all likelihood. The roles are not going to be lead guard type roles. 
Um, they might have some starter minutes. They might have some bench minutes. They might have some closing the game minutes. They might not. Basically, guys that can put their ego to the side, can show some versatility, and can be pretty good pros. And boy, I think Nemhard has shown that because it has fluctuated so much for him even early this season and that he didn't even play opening night. And he was more of a defensive guy at one point. Then they slid him in the starting lineup. He's hit big shots in the fourth. And last night, again, he's guarding Steph. He's scoring 30. He's dishing out a dozen assists. He's taking two charges in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, it's... How many teams leading scores take two charges in the fourth quarter? You know, the other thing that is funny about it is you look at, and I'm stating the obvious here, but you know there was a lot of talk with Gonzaga as you know as Gonzaga was annually you know starting out thirty and zero and that kind of thing and getting number one seeds and people were like yeah but they play out west they don't play anybody they're not that good well now you look at it and you're like wait a minute like already you're thinking to yourselves wait that's a team that had you know Timmy who's still there but is a, obviously a great college player Chad Holmgren Jalen Suggs who I think is going to be a really good pro and obviously was a great player at Gonzaga. And Nimhard. I mean, you look at it, Kevin, you're like, right. well, holy cow, no wonder why they were like 30-0, and 0, right? Yep. Yeah. But exactly. that was impressive last night, and that was one I have always said. Boy, the Pacers needed that. They, well, you needed it, right? Well, were you starting to worry? I, thank you, Mark. I, I, Yeah. I wasn't admitting it publicly, but Jake, you're in my, you're, you're, you're in my head right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That'll never by the come way, back. Um, <laughs> by I mean, the, way, the alarm has me rattled. Now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I think well, I'm now I'm going to sleep. Now it's you tomorrow, right? So because I and I appreciate you guys, you know, obviously showing that I'm not really that needed uh, this morning. I did, and I was going to bring this yesterday, Mark, but you were gone, right? Uh-huh. So I was in Milwaukee over the weekend, and I know that we're right in the thick of it. But I do have I do have to present you guys with these. And because you didn't mock me too hard, theoretically, and I'm hoping you don't re- actually request that I'm written up because I could be fired for this morning. Here we go. This uh, went to Milwaukee this weekend, stayed at the Brew House Inn, which is fabulous. It's attached to the original Pabst Brewery. And now, I'm not, I'm not responsible for the quality or lack thereof of these items because I think you're paying for the like logo and not necessarily the quality of manufacturing. Hmm. So That's might, an interesting marketing pitch. So, so you may not get more than a few wears out of these. But here we go. Every once in a while, I notice in the morning you do wear a snow hat, Kev. Yeah. So Look when at we that. Have, when we have our PBR party, there you go. Look at... Man, I wish the U.S. soccer team was still playing. I could rock this. Still in the plastic, too. Look at now, that. Mark, I've noticed that you wear occasionally a line of Kugel shirt. Is uh-huh. that right? Yeah. That's a Chicago centric beer correct no it's in it's in milwaukee <laughs> but but isn't it big in chicago yeah i mean most beers are but that well yeah that's true <laughs> that's a good point but i figured you needed if we're going to have our pbr party you've got to uh-huh. wear one but then i thought that because pbr is you know ex- obviously known for milwaukee which is where all the packer fans are that's not a good look for you right no. it's a great hat packers so, suck. so i decided what you needed is a pbr shirt in the Bears colors. Oh, so thank go. you, sir. Whoa. Look at so, that. Sorry, it's a bad throw. With this winter hat, I can just hang out by the keg <laughs> that, outside at the park. tell you, that's, that's more like a spring hat. I think it's a little thin, is it not? I, I think it's perfect, you know, because <laughs> you'll have a little bit of a nice coat after a but couple uh, couple cold ones thrown back there. <laughs> that's right. Perfect well, thank you very much. So there you go. So, so, uh, But anyway, back to the Pacers. Well, after that, we can't tell them. 
So, wow. see, exactly. nice parting gifts for me, though. <laughs> Jake, Jake's scrambling this that's, morning to. That's like the Glade air freshener on prices, right? We have some lovely party gifts for you. Yeah. Uh, now in uh, Minnesota, right before the yeah Minnesota come back tomorrow and then Friday and Saturday back to back, and I mean yes for Max five twenty nine. I was getting a little bit nervous there. But I think it also, Jake, we are going to like exit this Western trip and think to ourselves, and maybe we still are there, like, has water found its level? Is this a little bit more of the reality of the season? Are the Pacers just now getting into the general grind of an NBA season where, hey, guys miss nights. Tyrese Halliburton's out a couple games. Miles Turner's out for a game. Like, that stuff happens during an NBA season because I thought the Pacers, outside of Duarte, had hit kind of a two or three week stretch there where they had been pretty darn healthy and their opponents hadn't necessarily been that. Um, but yeah, just a huge win last night. And one of those games that you'll look back on the, at the end of the year and we'll say that was one of the highlights. Yeah, Yo, for sure. I, you know, the, um, this is a really good point that somebody just texted me. Does this mean if Nimhard continues to play at this level and again, you're talking about somebody there's probably not a lot of tape on that you know I mean there are a lot of factors that go into this. It's not like he's going to be able to do that every single night. But if he is able to play at this level, not to a 31 point level, but to be a solid consistent player, if he's able to play at that level does that mean that you play him essentially as the point or off guard but the scoring guard at the two spot? which allows you then to move Matherin into the starting lineup. I think you want Nemhard coming off the bench. Um, no, that's what I mean. So if you if you elevate Nemhard's bench role as your main scorer in the second unit, does that allow you to elevate Matherin out of that second unit into the starting lineup? Uh, I see what you're saying. Nemhard's more of a <clears throat> kind of a scoring catalyst for that bench unit. Correct. Um you know, I think down the road you would still I <laughs> You know, I'm just spitballing here, writing stuff down. But, I mean, let's say you do keep Buddy healed. Your starting lineup next year could look like healed, Matherin, Halliburton in the backcourt, and then a bench unit of a, you know, Nemhard, I guess, I guess McConnell's still under contract. Let's just put TJ to the side for a second, considering his age. Nemhard, Neesmith, Duarte as kind of a three-man bench grouping. I mean, that's, I would say, a pretty good little bench unit uh, from a guard-wing standpoint. I think the beauty of Nemhard is you can do a lot of different things with him. And he clearly is accepting of those roles. They clearly are not too big for him. The moment is not too big for him. I mean, he showed no fear last night playing the defending champs in their building. I mean, how much of a dream is it for guys to play against Steph Curry? Yeah, you're right. And uh, (laughs) outplay him. Thoroughly outplayed him. Zero fear last night whatsoever from Andrew Nemar. I think Sean wanted to join the conversation. Sean, you want to talk a little Pacers? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you guys, have the Pacers ever had two rookies be on an all-NBA rookie team? And what do you think are the chances of Nemhart and Matherin uh, being on those teams? Both. It's a good question. Uh, Jake, I-, I would venture to guess no on the first one. Two rookies from one team on an all-rookie team? I'm trying to think of back when they were not very good at all and would have had ample opportunity for rookies to play minutes. It's just hard to hit on two that early yeah, in the same I draft mean, class. You know, Chuck Person came in with... 
Greg Dryling, but Dryling who made the roster but would not have been on the rookie team. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I mean, Everett Stevens came in with Rick Smith, but did not play a lot of minutes. Uh, I'm gonna wager no, unless maybe no, because Antonio was late. They 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 shelved him in Europe, brought him back, and he joined the team in like '93. But Scott Haskin was your rookie, and so therefore he would not have been. No, the answer is. Yeah, the answer is no, based off a quick little Google search. Um, You're all rookie first-teamers in Pacers history. Smits, Person, Stepanovich, and Kellogg. Okay. Your second-teamers are all kind of the recent group. Chris Duarte, Miles Turner, Paul George, Danny Granger, Jamal Tinsley. No Reggie Miller, huh? No Reggie. I think people forget it took Reggie a while to get going. They, They needed to do a couple of things to get Reggie Miller going. Um, I, I thought it took Paul a little while. I didn't realize he was second all rookie second team. It did take him a while to really set himself. Though, yeah, I he? mean to get to that yeah. level, but still, I mean all rookie second team. I didn't. But right now, I, I I'd have to take a closer look at this rookie class. But you would think Nemhard would be a candidate, certainly for a. I mean, so far, if not the first team, one game, second team. You know, I mean, he's played well. Obviously, he's going to need a couple more games like that to really get on the radar. But that was it was impressive. Um, do you believe, Kevin, and I know we're going to talk more about this on the program coming up, do you believe Jeff Brom will leave Purdue? Jake, I went back and looked at those quotes that Jeff Brom had back in, what was it, May, when he was down in Louisville? Correct. Speaking at, I think, like a quarterback club down there. Boy, I can understand why Purdue fans are so uneasy. Uh, I think he's gone. I, I, I have not, That's strictly my gut. But the I, only saving grace that I would think is, does the Big Ten allure win out? I think home wins out in the end. I think family and all of I mean, he's talked about Louisville in just a different light throughout his career. But do you, and I think you brought this point up yesterday, Jake, does how college football is trending between if you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC, you're not in college football. Right. I mean, that's the that's the big thing right now. And if Clemson moves from the ACC to the SEC, you know, what happens to the ACC, all those I things. I think Louisville could be one of those that goes in, though. If if the ACC... To the Big Ten? No, no, no. Do you remember when we had Jeff Smullyan on, who you know was on the board of trustees at USC and was part of the USC move into the Big Ten? And Jeff was saying that he thought, ultimately, you were going to have two major super conferences, and the other one's going to be the SEC... And he said that it's going to handpick some programs out of the ACC. And one would think those would be Carolina, Clemson, Duke. And then if they needed a fourth, I mean, Syracuse or Louisville would be it, right? So I think Louisville has a – because of their – I thought it was Florida State, Miami, Clemson. Thought, yeah. And North Carolina. Yeah, I mean – that's a little bit more. I, I would regionally. think Louisville is of appeal, yeah, because of their basketball as well. But football's the breadwinner, no question about it. But he, here's that Brom quote from the spring, Jake. And again, this was him saying why he didn't take the Louisville job, I think, in twenty eighteen. To be quite honest, through my schooling and how I was raised, I believe in at least trying to do the right thing and having morals and values. It was just too early to leave. It just wasn't right. You build relationships, people treat you right, the people there have treated me great. You talk to recruits and they ask me things, just a lot of things went into it. But obviously, now we're all on year six. I love this town, this area, I'm an alumnus of Louisville, so anything can happen in the future. Yeah, I mean, what is... 
I mean, I remember when he said that, thinking to myself, okay, as soon as that job's open, he's gone. Assuming that they want him. Like, right? if I were a Purdue fan and I saw that end of the quote, so anything could happen in the future, I would take my booster money and send it to Louisville to try and hope that Scott Satterfield would stay there. Right. Or just, for example, when he says, you know, hey, the timing wasn't right, but now we're in year six. That, that What he's saying is, but now right. the time would be okay. Yeah, it's just not... Not not only that, but I think that from a Big Ten standpoint, yes, what he did at Purdue this year, I, he deserves all the accolades in the world for it, and I think he's been a good... He's been a boilermaker. He's been a good guy. But he's probably hit the glass ceiling of Purdue in the Big Ten West, right? Sure. I mean, sure. so home is home. Yeah, and that to me, that, that quote, Jake, home is home. I mean, I know it's not the same exact situation, but you're talking to two people that professionally have worked... Right. In their home market for right. 98% and, of their life. You know, Greg Rakestraw said it best. I mean, he is from the Manning family of Louisville. Both of his brothers played there. His dad played there. The whole family's entrenched there. I, they, there's been coaching there. I mean, come on. Is I, Tom, Tommy nervous, Mark, about losing Jeff Brom? Is he a Purdue fan? I don't know. I'm not sure. He just wanted to weigh in. Tommy, you got some Brom thoughts? Yeah. Hey, guys. What's up? Well, hey, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, just a couple things. So, like, you talk about like the you see like the Brom million dollar buyout like that. I mean, it it kind of tells me like he kind of has going into going. In, I mean, obviously he could get fired and stuff, but I mean, from a certain extent, like he's pretty financially set. Sounds like he's a guy that doesn't need all the money in the world. He's, I mean, that's not his end goal, but it, it, I mean, if he's got Louisville kind of in the back of his mind, I mean, that's kind of. Maybe the reason for the one million dollar buyout from his end. Um, you mean because you thought the buyout would be more? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you hear about other buyouts, like I mean, Kirk Ferentz is like what twenty million dollars. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was I, stunned when I, I saw would that, agree with that buyout. So I'd small. agree, and that's a great point, Tommy, because you're right. I mean, that is, and I don't know, you know, sometimes those buyouts, uh, you know, there are clauses in there like you can't take a job at such and such. That's but, something I want to ask Dean Hart. Is there a Louisville clause correct. in the Brom contract? Correct. Thank you, Tommy, for that call. I don't know if you saw it yesterday, Jake. Rick Bozich of Louisville, who was pretty much like their Bob Kravitz. Correct. Um, he made a kind of a plea for uh, Jeff Brom is the only home run hire, the one who checks every box on and off the field. Pay the man, and it will pay off in winning football in a winning atmosphere at Cardinal Stadium. We'll talk more about this next with Tom Deanhart. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Well, Purdue fans certainly hope these lyrics do not play out for Jeff Brom with the Louisville opening. Now, it's Scott Satterfield, Louisville head coach to Cincinnati. So the dominoes have happened. Luke Fickle, of course, to Wisconsin. Job opens at Cincy. Scott Scatterfield goes there. The Louisville opening is now open for the second time in the Jeff, Jeff Brom era at Purdue. And to talk more about that, Tom Deanhart from On3.com joins us. Um, Tom, let's start here. I guess when Jeff Brom made those comments in the spring about Louisville, did that change at all your thinking on if and when that opening were to happen again, how he would view it? I mean, I think we all along, going back to 2018 when this first flirtation took place, when he almost jumped back to Derby City after this two years in West Lafayette, I think at that point we realized the siren song of 
going back home is always going to be there, is always going to be wailing. And, and to hear him make comments, you know, like he did this summer, not a shock. It just doesn't seem like it's just an inevitability. It's not if, it's when. I mean, maybe I'm being too pessimistic there, but there's never anything done to really shoot down the potential move back home is there. There's never any words verbalized. He could come out right now and say, hey, I'm, I'm at Purdue. I'm Purdue's head coach, but it's radio silence. We talked to him yesterday at the press conference. You know, he said all the right things. Hadn't been contacted. Uh, the ball's still rolling a little. Let me say this real quick, too, guys. He was in Indianapolis visiting recruits yesterday. Jerron Tibbs, you know, Gilbert, the big defensive tackle from Cathedral, Dylan Thieneman. Supposed to start visiting recruits further away on Monday. So he's still out looking for Purdue, South Purdue, trying to, you know, secure his commitments for 2023. Yeah, he certainly did not, you know, close the door on it yesterday with his comments. That is interesting on the recruiting front. Um, do you know, are there any. He got a contract extension back in April, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, are there any specific Louisville clauses within the contract that you're aware of? And what did that extension entail? No, there were no Louisville clauses uh, specific to any schools at all in it. Um, I guess the one noteworthy thing, if it's that noteworthy, it's, it's a million-dollar buyout. If, on his end, if he leaves before the expiration of the contract, that's really the biggest thing, I guess, of note. Um, you know, you never want to keep somebody someplace they don't want to be, right? I certainly wouldn't want to be. And you know what? I'll be honest with you, too. If, if he were to depart from Louisville, I think we would all understand it, right? Totally. I, I, I agree with that, yeah. Tom. And, you know, six years, and you look at you look where Purdue was at before he got here. It was a train wreck. I mean, to use an analogy or a metaphor for Purdue, but it was a train wreck. And what he's done in six years is pretty remarkable. So, again, in six years, he, he's done his job, guys. He's hit the high mark this year. If you were ever going to drop the mic and leave, this would be the time to drop the mic and leave. It just seems to me, Tom, Tom Dienhart is our guest from On3.com. Let's talk about, you know, Mike Babinski, who I like a great deal. I, you know, you have more dealings with him than I, but in my limited dealings, I've liked him a lot. Um, and I remember, you know, initially he and Jeff Brom almost did like a, like a tour of going around the state to different media people and, and trying to get people excited about Purdue football. And obviously winning games is what does that, and Purdue has put themselves in that position. But it seemed to me like they were they were guys that were close enough that Babinski would have had exactly what you're talking about, Tom, an understanding, right, of like, hey, listen, you can't take it personally when when the guy's leaving to go home. But is there any possibility – that their relationship is not as rock solid like this is feels like my son-in-law type. Of, and I don't mean in a bad way. I don't mean that they dislike each other. But are they as attached at the hip, seemingly bonded together, close friends as they certainly seemed in the beginning? You know, I, I don't pretend to know their, the details of their relationship. But from my view, it always seems to be a strong relationship. I, I see them talking very often. Um, again, I think there's a lot of communication there. I know they speak every Monday after the press conference. I think Mike probably has another time during the week where he, where he talks to Jeff. So I think they're, they're, they talk, and again, it seems very amicable to me. So I don't think there's any rift there at all. And like you said about Michael Bensky, great guy to work with. Um, very good with the media. He always returns your calls, returns your text promptly. And uh, just, again, a guy who gets it. 
good fit for Purdue. So again, I don't think there's any rift there that would cause friction to want to cause Jeff to leave. But who knows? I, I got to think this too, guys. Right? Mike Mobinski knew this day was probably coming, if not now, but sometime down the road. You got to think he's got that top desk drawer with his contacts. He's already probably vetted people, talked to people back channel wise, and has some people lined up. Should something pop here, obviously. So to parlay off that, and I know that we're being speculative, but you know, hey, for the sake of you know, it's it's the holiday season, so we'll sit on Santa's lap here, right, and make wishes for something that. Um, man, we don't even know if they'll deliver. But hey, Santa always delivers. That is true. Santa does. But but Santa in this case might not have to. Although I think he's going to have to. So Tom, are there any names of coaches that came through the Purdue tree that you would look at and say that guy is probably ready now to be elevated, or do you think Babensky simply goes with somebody who is long term established? And if that's the case, who do you think he has an eye on? Yeah, I'm not sure if there's anybody with, with direct Purdue ties. Um, that would be a super hot candidate. Um, I guess one that's always one of my favorites, who well, I think would do a great job, does have obviously great Purdue connections. This is one of your cities, finest Kevin Sumlin. Played at Brebuff, played at Purdue, head coach at Houston, Texas A&M, and Arizona. He's in the USFL now. I think he'd take the job. Check a lot of boxes, guys. This will be his last job if he got it. Come back to his alma mater. I think he would enjoy it. But you know what? People they talked to in the past before they hired Brom, guys like Troy Calhoun at Air Force. Um, I think he's always going to be on the radar. Joe Moorhead's at Akron now, but he had a terrible year. But I know they talked to Joe Moorhead last time. Willie Fritz at Tulane, I think, would be a good fit. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there's some people, too. At Alabama, there's a new uh, associate AD at Purdue named Tim, uh, Tiffany Grimes who worked with Nick Saban. So you look at the people she worked with at Alabama, guys like Charles Huff and Marshall, and even a real big-picture guy like Bill O'Brien at Alabama. I'm not sure if a guy like that would be interested in Purdue or not, but you just keep him on your radar. And there's, there's the typical other names like Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Would he want to leave? You know, Dave Aranda, Baylor, Dave Dorn at NC State. So guys are that ilk. You could go any number of directions here. I do think guys, though, when you think Purdue, right, higher, you probably want a guy who comes from the offensive side of the ball, right? Well, you know what's interesting, Tom? I would agree. A couple of questions here. Number one, does the departing presidency have anything to do with oh. how much flexibility they'll get in their search? With Because Mitch Daniels was a pretty sport-friendly president who I think had a really good relationship with those guys as well. You're right. That That's a great, great question. No idea. Wang Chang, I think, is the gentleman's name who's taken over. I've not met him. I'm not sure what his interest is in athletics. He's got an engineering background. Sort of a 180 from Mitch. He's more of a business guy. You know, they got more of an academic guy. So who knows? I, I can't pretend to know what his thinking is. I'm sure he's being looped in, guys, but I can't imagine he's looped in day to day. He doesn't want to get bogged down in the details of a coach search if it does take place and all the drama that comes with it. But I'm sure he'll be looped in. And I'm sure Mitchell, Mitchell Phil is there and probably fill him in, let him know how he should react and what he's done and maybe how he should move forward too. Tom, I want to read to you. Tom Deanhart is our guest from On3.com. He's on the Payless Slickers Hotline. I want to read to you a, a tweet that I got, and I guess we can combine react to it. I had said, aside from the obvious factors with Jeff Brom, one of the things that might weigh into his mind is, in particular, with USC and UCLA coming to the Big Ten 
and and then theoretically perhaps Stanford and Oregon as well, and the realignment, if you will, of divisions. I had said that Purdue might have, in Jeff Brom's eyes, hit the glass ceiling of getting to the Big Ten championship game through the West because they're about to realign everything, and so therefore things might that that path might have been a, a once you know every eight year type situation. And somebody said, how in the world did you can you say he hit the glass ceiling? He made it to the Big Ten Championship game with three stars and walk-ons. The ceiling has not been hit. Uh, your thoughts? Great great points on both sides. Um, you look at that roster, you just sort of scratch your head. You go, how did he get eight wins out of that team? Uh, how many NFL players are on that roster? So, again, um, but you know what? I, I've been around this program, this school, my whole life seen a lot of incarnations of coaches and programs it's largely remained the same they'll pop up and have their good year every now and again can never consistently compete with the elite um sure Purdue may not be at their glass ceiling but they're darn close and I don't think there's much room left uh, they're never going to be like Ohio State or Michigan maybe I'm being too negative about it but again um I'm with you I tell you what with this conference adding those teams from the west and then presumably going to one division in 2024 top two teams to get to the championship game. I think even the most dyed-in-the-world Kool-Aid drink a Purdue fan would have a hard time thinking they got a good shot to get back to that title game. We could be wrong. I mean, crazy things happen from year to year. We see it, but still, or Jeff Brom's got him as close to the top and I think he's probably ever going to get with, with maybe just a little bit more room to go, possibly. Again, Tom Deanhart with us on 3.com. Does an outstanding job covering Purdue football. We appreciate his time each of the last couple of weeks with us. I do want to go back to Saturday night. Um, I felt like they played pretty darn well in the first half and moved the football pretty much all night long. It just seemed like I get the fake punt, the flake, fake flea flicker, if you want to call it that, as well. It just seemed like one more was needed. One more, instead of settling for a field goal, you needed to punch one of those in to put, I think, real, real game pressure on Michigan in that second half. Yeah, 14-13 at halftime. Purdue fans had to feel good, right, going out and drinking their, their Schlitz and their Black Label at the concourse at Lucas Oil. But then, like you said, they're kicking five field goals. Michigan scoring six touchdowns. You look at the stats, Purdue moved up and down the field between the 20s, dominated time of possession, outgained Michigan as well. But again, the yards get tougher inside the 20. That's where Purdue obviously could not cash in. And guys, you watch football a lot. The listeners watch a lot of football. It's a line of scrimmage game, right? And that's always where Purdue really struggles, the line of scrimmage. Now, the D-line's pretty good, I think. That O-line, though, has always had a tough time matching up and getting a consistent push. I think it's been better this year. They've dealt with attrition, too, but again, that, that's where the games are always won. And Purdue just could not impose its will from a run-game standpoint, especially in the red zone. Couldn't, couldn't impose their will on a very, very good stout Michigan team. You know what, guys, too? I asked Jeff Brown in the postgame about this, too, and he just sort of looked at me and goes, you know, this Michigan's pretty good team. And <laughs> you tend to forget that. you got to give the other team credit, too, right? That's a team that's 13-0 and in the playoff. Early thoughts on LSU and the Citrus Bowl? Boy, I think they're about a five-and-a-half-point favorite, I believe. I posted something last night about what is Purdue's roster going to look like by the time we get to January 2nd. Who's going to be the coach? So we talk about so many questions that's less than a month away. I have no idea. Purdue, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. But I said that last year when they went to Nashville to play another SEC team in Tennessee, and they found a way that day, guys, without George Karloffis or David Bell 
or Milton Wright or one of the starting cornerbacks or starting defensive tackle or starting left offensive tackle. They still found a way to gut it out. So yeah, that was a crazy game. Crazy game. One of the craziest I've ever seen. Hey, I'll, Tom, I'll tell you what's crazy. Anymore, there are two phases now for any school in bowl season. The first is the fun of waiting to find out what bowl game you're going to. Mm-hmm. Then the second is to find out the fun of which of your players are actually still with your school. <laughs> or in Purdue's case, coach, potentially. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, right? Like the... Yeah. I, I mean, you name the school. Like I, I mean, I, I personally, you know, follow Clemson. They've lost, or not lost, but they've had seven players that got minutes, got snaps that are all announced to the transfer portal. And you think, like, holy cow, they're getting decimated. Then you look around and you go, I don't know. That's like the norm now, right? I mean, Notre Dame yeah. starting quarterback literally entered the yeah. transfer portal. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's too bad because it's supposed to be the celebration, the apex of your season, right? right? And it's just that's what's disappointing about it. You lift weights in July and August. You do all the two-a-day stuff. Bang your head into the wall on Saturdays to win games. And then you get to that point where you get the bowl bed, and then your roster falls apart and your coach may leave. I mean, that's a story that repeats itself across the country each year. And it's just a crazy sport to see, to see the apex again, the climax of your season. He's so anticlimactic, I guess. It's just, it's, it's kind of sad, really. Yeah, I know the answers aren't easy, but we've got to define some regulations with some of this transfer portal stuff because it's just too wild, wild westy right now. Tom, I'm uh, thinking about you and the message boards over the next couple of days. <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there. Hey, hey, hey real, real quick, too. If something's going to happen, it's got to happen fast, right? Maybe maybe something pops today, tomorrow, but I think something's got to happen quick. But right now, guys, Jeff Brom is still suiting up and showing up and outselling Purdue. So just keep that in, in the back of your mind as, as we continue to, I guess, fans continue to wring their hands and, and wonder and worry and wait. Great info as always, Tom. Thank you. Take care. That's Tom Deanhart right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline making the rounds. Jeff Brom sounds like across the city of Indianapolis as he... Uh, which is a popular thing right now for coaching staffs to do, of try to maintain recruits for this early signing period and, of course, see if you can kind of backfill any parts of your class as you monitor the transfer portal as well. Indiana also hit by the transfer portal. I mean, everybody, right? Yeah, Indiana's been just decimated, honestly. What's the over-under for Indiana next year? <laughs> it was four this year. What? Uh, that was a push, right? Didn't Indiana end it? It was four? four and a half, I think, right? Or did it fall to four? Maybe it was four and a half, yeah. I thought the last game of the year was four and a half Indiana, seven and a half Purdue. The winner would hit their over-under. Purdue obviously did that. Uh, boy, I, I'd have to look at the schedule. I mean, it's three. I ran into Kevin Sublin one time at the Indy 500. He loves the Indy 500. Really? Yeah. Had a great chat with him. I, I totally forgot about that name. That, that that name makes a lot of sense to me. How good a coach do you think he is? I thought he had some moments at A&M. Did he not? I mean, he got a lot of money there. That's the one thing is you might be able to get him for, you know, you might not have to pay him a lot because it's home and he's I mean, made a hell, lot of money. He gave them a lot more return on investment than Jimbo Fisher's given them. Hey, Jake, what about Matt Canada, offensive coordinator for the Steelers? Boy. He's coached some prolific offenses in the college ranks, had a stint as an interim at Maryland a few years ago, has been the offensive coordinator at places like LSU. Might be the most hated coordinator in the NFL. <laughs> Talk to Mike DeCourcy about him. He was mostly a quarterback's coach there at in a lot of his stops and then ascended to offensive coordinator. Mike DeCourcy, not a fan? 
I, I don't recall. Kevin Sumlin at A&M, Jake. Six seasons, six winning seasons. Okay. 11, 9, 8, 8, and 7. Won three bowl games. I mean, there was a time where he was the... I mean, he was one of the it coaches in college football, right? I forgot about that stint with Arizona. That was brief, right? Yeah, three years, five and seven, four and eight, zero oh and five, and then got canned. But again, Purdue played linebacker Purdue and Burbuff grad. Listen, Tom made one good point in the fact that, well, I mean, he made a lot of good points, but but one of the things that jumped out that he said, which is true, you have to give credit for. It. If this is it for Jeff Brom at Purdue, he has he is leaving the Boilermakers in a better situation than he started. Yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair, the bar was set extremely low by Daryl Hazel, but yeah. Well, that's, I mean... But it's on much better ground. Totally empty Much covered, better ground. Right? Do you full, want, uh, game, full games in four or six years. Do you want IU's 2023 opponents? Okay, here we go. Go ahead. Ohio State. That's how they start with? <laughs> that's what it says. <laughs> okay. Indiana State. Hold on. Okay, uh, there we go. Okay. Louisville at Lucas Oil Stadium. Ooh. Akron. Okay. Maryland. At Michigan. Rutgers. At Penn State. Home against Wisconsin. At Illinois, home against Michigan State, at Purdue. Gosh, their crossovers are Wisconsin, Boy. Illinois, and Purdue. Mm-hmm. Oof. Boy, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Three, and a, three and a half. You're tough to get three there. Indiana State, Akron, and what was the other non-conference game? Uh, Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, who might have a very know. familiar coach. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> and again, their best. You know what that is? It's relentless, Mark. It's rare air, I think. <laughs> that, that's the McCullough pass rushers in the transfer portal. He was arguably their best player this year. That's rare air. That schedule's relentless, Mark. We had a few moments yesterday, Mark, where we were, we were needing, you, needing you for the audio. I know, that's how I keep my job, is I hide the audio so whoever fills in can't find it. <laughs> like that? Yeah. Where I'm begging for the Tom Allen audio? Yeah. Well, that one I don't have saved. That one I should have I kind of looked at Sam a few times. He just shrugged his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Mark, Mark's that's got keep seven passwords to get to that. That's how you keep your worth around here. Uh, time for a morning checkdown. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, I'll begin with the NFL. Last night, Tampa Bay Bucks 17-16 over the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady, the heroics in that game for... You know, we're used to seeing Monday night comebacks when it comes to the Tampa Bay Bucks, but not necessarily on that side of things. The one implication locally, the Saints now 4-9. and nine. That keeps them right in the thick in terms of that maneuvering and jockeying for position in the draft, which whoever would have thought Indianapolis is in that discussion, but that's where they are. Bucks were so bad for such long stretches that game. It's a shame they won it. It's- Kurt Warner, I was listening to the radio broadcast. Kurt Warner couldn't believe that they ended up winning. He's like, I don't understand what we just watched. He's like, yeah. they couldn't do anything the, the Saints had, game. had some moments to potentially even ice the game there, first down-wise, and God, just pathetic. Uh, Pacers last night, incredible win, to be honest with you. No Turner, no Halliburton, no McConnell, still no Chris Duarte. They play Golden State. Pacers on a back-to-back. Golden State's not. Golden State's only missing Andrew Wiggins. Indiana goes into Golden State. 10-game win streak for the home team. They snap it. Andrew Nemhard. 31 points last night, uh, 13 assists, 8 rebounds. The guy's taking charges in the fourth quarter. He's guarding Steph Curry. Steph Curry goes 3-17. It was 
I don't think I'm speaking hyperbole here, Jake. It's one of the more magical nights of the season, no matter what unfolds the rest of the way for the Pacers. Hard to argue that. I mean, and again, this isn't necessarily like typical peak form Golden State, but still, it's Golden State. Yeah, right? and again, they had won 10 straight at home. So I think you got to note that. And you just don't see rookies. You don't see rookies do this, especially rookies that are not drafted in the top 10. And Nemhard was, what, the first pick of the second round. Uh, so really needed for the Pacers. Jalen Smith had some uh, important minutes. So Shaber set Isaiah Jackson as well. Benedict Matherin got his first start of his NBA career. He had 14 points. Didn't shoot it great. Uh, the Timberwolves. Wednesday, that will be the close to a seven-game road trip before the Pacers are at home Friday and Saturday. Wizards and Nets this weekend. Uh, you just heard us talking to Tom Deanhart about the fact that Louisville now has a head coaching opening for their football program. Jeff Brom, Kevin, the reality is this is the guy that immediately, as soon as you heard that Louisville had an opening, I think everybody nationwide is like, Jeff Brom of Purdue would seem to be the guy, right? <laughs> Correct. A bull conference call yesterday for Jeff Brom. Here was his answer when asked about the Louisville opening. I know you've been busy this morning, but has Louisville tried to contact you at all or, or tried to reach out to you this morning? No, there's been no contact. Sound like Bill Belichick. Okay, then. I think he later said that what he like found out on Twitter about it. I mean, come on. It's like You guys know more than I do. Uh, it was a pretty non-answer from Jeff Brom in that moment. To Tom, De- to Tom Deanhart's point earlier, uh, if he wanted to squash that, and, and maybe there's a leverage play here con- from a contract standpoint, so maybe he's playing a little bit of that game. But if he wanted to, um, he chose not to go down that path. We're on to LSU. That's what he said. <laughs> that was good. Say that again, Mark. We're on to LSU. Is that good for your voice? It kind of feels good, yeah. It's fine. We got Heisman finalists. Now, Are we going to win 45 cents on? 45 cents on Caleb Williams. Yeah. If you bet $10, you win 45 cents. Uh-huh. So if you bet 100 bucks, you win $4.50. Is that worth it? <laughs> no. Hell yeah. Every I mean, what could counts. go wrong? I mean, 1 800 like, with saying. it. Max Duggan from TCU, Stetson Bennett, Georgia, CJ Stroud, Ohio State. Feels like Stetson Bennett is, and this is where the Heisman went. The Heisman had this weird period from about 2002 to like 2009, where it was the quarterback on the best team. There's your Heisman winner. Congratulations. And Stetson Bennett, who's a very, very good player, do not get me wrong, but it feels like he's kind of like this late emerging, well, we need a fourth guy. He's the quarterback on the best team. We'll put him in there. Kind of feels like that. Stetson Bennett sounds like the name of like an 80s teen comedy villain. Yeah, it's to me, Stetson Bennett sounds like... I do like watching him play. He sounds like the villain on a Dukes of... Like the rich villain in Dukes of Hazard. Stetson Bennett, yes. Kind of a shame you know I mean? that uh, Hendon Hooker did not get a Heisman invite. I feel like the, the torn ACL... He was probably the favorite until he tore his ACL. That's a good point. That's a really good point. He had start. He had a couple of the the real key to winning the Heisman is when you have that marquee game that everybody's watching to see what your program does, and you show out a little bit. And he he did. I mean, obviously he got hurt in one, and then what was the game they lost where he str- he really struggled? Who was their first loss? They lost twice, right? Uh, Georgia. Georgia, they got blown yeah. out, right? Yeah, and then South the Carolina is when he got hurt. In. And then he got hurt against South Carolina, yeah. Uh, Butler's got Yale tonight in hoops over at Hinkle. It's a 6.30 tip there. Yale's actually pretty good. So 
a little bit of a test for Butler after their win over Kansas State last week. Uh, Bob Kravitz going to join us at the top of the hour. Did you guys approve of my pop quiz, by the way? I didn't look at it, to be yeah. quite honest. I thought it was solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for looking at it, Mark. Well, yeah. I was just like, well, Scotty must be out because Jake did a pop quiz. Either that or he's in a fever dream and he thinks he has to do it. <laughs> I just yes, curious. we will have some substitute pop quizzes this week on the show. Uh, Kevin Aquaria here on a overcast start to this Tuesday. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Jake, I'm reading this. Um, you know Seth Wickersham, ESPN? Yes, sir. How would you kind of characterize him in the sports media world? The New Orleans Saints. Am I being too critical? Um, I guess I would necessarily wasn't thinking NFL team. When I think Seth Wickersham, and he writes a piece, I think must read. Yeah, no, okay. tons of detail. I thought you meant like in terms of like his, you know. Like how often he's like breaking big stories or that kind yeah, of yeah. I don't think he's like a news breaker put, necessarily. Okay, how about this? How about this? A a slightly less ubiquitous and annoying Bill Simmons. <laughs> like like I loved when Bill Simmons first came out. I loved reading him, and then it kind of got to be the same thing over and over and over. And it was like uh, okay, enough. Wickersham's latest uh, Andrew Luck finally reveals why he walked away from the NFL. Um, so I was kind of in the midst of reading that, as you'd expect. Pretty long piece. Um, a little surprised Andrew did that. What is it? And what does it say? Uh, I'm in the midst of reading, so I've not gotten to that point yet. Because, I don't know, I felt like, you know, he did all that stuff with Zach Kiefer this offseason, off the record for the podcast and it just seemed like he was kind of content with that side of it I, I I don't I don't know maybe he will say why he feels the need to do it now um, yeah I don't know if having another daughter I, I I don't know exactly if there was a life event in there or anything like in, from that realm that he felt the urge to do like why now what I heard was it might have been Zach that mentioned this. I, I, I can't recall. But I think there were a couple of things that went into play. And I know it's kind of a tired subject to people around here. I get that. But but it's still relevant, obviously, when you're talking about Andrew Luck and why he walked away. Well, it's the first time we've ever had Luck on the record quotes about right. about it. Um, so, you know, supposedly he, he, he was watching something or saw something of a former player in the NFL that was being interviewed and talked about his inability or his difficulty in playing with his children because of injuries, back injuries. And that Luck looked at his own daughter and was like, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just not. And he had gone through hell in terms of rehab of different injuries. And I know people can talk about the snowboarding accident and all that, but I think, 
I think the ankle injury in particular, and if you recall late that ankle injury, it was like a a, a, a rare bone that grows off of the ankle that they, they would have had to gone in to remove perhaps and it set him back further on his rehab. I think sometimes we overthink things, Kevin, and I haven't read the article, so I don't know exactly what it says, but but here's the thing. I, I think sometimes we as humans have an ability to to overthink things or overcomplicate things. And, you know, just for example, a, a month ago when I was in Barcelona, I'm walking around Barcelona and I'm like, this is this city is so beautiful, like so cool. There was such a cool vibe about it. And, you know, there's obviously kind of a romanticism of being in a different place in a different culture. And and I thought to myself, I can only imagine what it must be like to be 28, 30 years old and know that you have more money than you will ever need and that you can travel to places like this anytime you want and soak it in and learn about it. And Andrew Luck is one of those guys, I think, that wants to learn about everything that he sees and everything that he comes across. And... I think that competing was very important to Andrew Luck, but I don't know that competing in football was. I think he liked the game of football. I think he loves to compete, but I don't know that he ever felt like he needed it. And I think that we sometimes have an inability to grasp that because we have a passion about something doesn't mean that those that we're passionate about share the same passion. And for Andrew Luck, that passion, I I think it came down to, I have all the money I need. I have the ability to travel around and look at the things that interest me like old Roman architecture and different cultures and different foods and soccer matches and ride my bike through Milan and whatever else. And I still have my health and it's been hell and back to rehab different things and I'm just not doing it anymore. I, I, I mean, am I overthinking it or underthinking it in that case, Kevin? You know, to sum up why I thought he retired, it was <clears throat> the sacrifices that it took to play the game of football were impacting his personal life too much. He, yeah. he, he could not compartmentalize the rehab aspect to it, the physical toll with his relationships as a, at the time, a new husband, a soon-to-be father. Um, all of those things. Do you believe it's possible? Strictly conjecture. I, I Nothing to base this on. Do you believe it's possible that Andrew Luck was afraid of his... of going back to a place where he was too dependent upon the medication that was being prescribed to him because of all the injuries he'd been through? Yeah, I, I don't know that. Um, I don't... Uh, you know, I've always said this about the injury. Um the injury was nothing. You know, it, it was a calf injury. You, you compare that on the NFL scale of injuries. It's not like well, the, the, this guy needed surgery, needed three surgeries. It, it's not an Alex Smith type injury that sent him into retirement. But I believe Kevin, the one that the last injury, they thought it was a calf injury, and then if you recall, remember at the very end they discovered that he had. I know this sounds crazy that the calf injury was being precipitated, if you will, by that like weird bone that was coming off of his ankle. Yeah, ost- 
tragonum or whatever it's called. That, and that that and they they didn't realize that was what was causing the issue, and they they basically said like the the one you have to go in and have that like shaved down or removed, which was like an outpatient thing, but required a lot of recovery time. Ryan Deem had the same thing. I remember that because I remember doing. I, I remember Ryan Deem talking about it, but not wanting to go like on record, but saying like, "Yeah, I had the same thing. Like that's what I had," um, and not. I mean, he was public about the fact he had it, but that but that was the end of it. But and then shortly thereafter, like a week later, boom, luck retired. I, I think that he, I think the the thought, you know, it, all of us have different things in life that are valleys that we go through, and we're proud of ourselves for going through them. But then you look back and you go, I don't ever want to go through that again. You know, for me, it's happened like with, and I think for for people here, hearing my voice, the most relatable thing would be if you've ever been in a situation where you are financially in a hole or you lose a job and you fight your way through that and you make ends meet and then you get another job and you get back on your feet again and you start to develop a bit of a nest egg again and you think to yourself, okay, I made it through that. But boy, I don't ever want that uncertainty again. And I think that from an athlete standpoint, you have all the money you need, but your body becomes your checking account. And you're like, man, I just, I don't want to go back through that again. You know, I mean, that's, but again, I I, I think that the hardest thing about sports and the one thing that I, the biggest thing that I learned or have learned in my career is I will never forget working locally in television and when the Colts lost that game to the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Nick Harper, Mike Vanderjat wide right game that was the biggest sure feeling in the world that the Colts were going to the Super Bowl that year. I mean, it was a fo- they were the most dominant team in football. And they'd broken through, and it was like, oh my gosh, this city is going to have a Super Bowl champion. This is unbelievable. And then they got beat by Pittsburgh. And literally, you could feel like they needed to put Prozac in the White River or in the in the Broderpool Canal because that's the water supply for the city, and like everyone was depressed. You could feel the life come out of the city. And that night, I was working in local television – And we had three different players, I've told this story before, that came in that night, kudos to them, to do our Sunday night, or it might have been a Saturday night show in studio. And while Dave First and I are feverishly editing together the final pieces of the show itself, the three players that were coming in studio came in and asked to use my computer, and they were all three of them looking up vacations for the next day and booking their flights to like Tahiti and Dominican Republic. And they're like, man, where are you going? Where are you going? And and I remember thinking like, holy cow, this city is devastated. And sure, they were disappointed. Don't get me wrong. But vacation came early for them. And that's when I realized that oftentimes we emotionally invest in things that forces we as people to believe that everyone has that same emotional investment. And I'm not saying Andrew Luck didn't care as an athlete, but I also think that Andrew Luck's bar of what was necessary for him to be a content human being probably was was raised or lowered by different things than that of, of people that had Andrew Luck 
being the one that was affecting their bar. And that's a very hard thing for me and other people, I think, to grasp. Yeah, and I've got no issue with you know guys when the season ends that that's what they're doing. I mean, I think it's an incredible grind, uh, physical toll on your body, mental grind uh, to endure an NFL season. And for it to end like that, um, you do want to get away. Um, I think it's kind of hard to fully relate to because our jobs are not that necessarily... <laughs> you know, matching up with that exact physical grind. And for a lot of these guys, again, Indianapolis necessarily is, isn't home during the season either. Um, so I think that plays into uh, some of it. So, uh, again, Seth Wickersham from ESPN.com. Mark, we should try to get him on. I will reach out. Um, again, kind of a... There's your homework assignment, Mark. I guess really the I'm... first time we've had Andrew Luck on the record um, with the reasons why he left the game of football. Bob Kravitz going to join us here in about 15 minutes. Speaking of Andrew Luck, Bob has made a very public plea for Jim Harbaugh, so we'll talk with Bob about that and more on Andrew Demhard's magical night in the Bay Area last night. Kevin and Corey. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. So to summarize, Kevin, I think I, I glanced, I skimmed through the article here. I think what it comes down to is this. You tell me your reaction. Um, Seth Wickerson with the article about Andrew Luck, who finally spoke about his retirement and his reasoning. And Andrew Luck says in it that he he says, how do you fall out of love with something that you love so much? But Andrew Luck talks about how when he was originally playing with Anthony Costanzo, he told Costanzo that to be a great quarterback, you've got to be all in on knowing that you are basically the cat's meow. And I think what it came down to, Kevin, is that Andrew Luck knew that to be the best quarterback that he could be, that he had to be totally 100% committed to being Andrew Luck, the football quarterback, a game that he loved. But I think that he began to fall out of love with football because he resented the fact that to be the best that he could be at his position, he had to be strictly a football player. And he always saw himself as more than that and therefore felt like he couldn't 100% invest. And if he's going to do something, he's going to do it to the best of his ability. And the best of his ability meant taking away from him other areas of interest. And I think it you know, fell inside of his personal life of becoming a new husband, new father, right in the months and year before and then after he announced that retirement. I think that plays into it as well. Just again, an inability to compartmentalize, which is fine. Uh, I'm not ripping the guy for it, but uh, to play at that elite level, there are obviously sacrifices that you have to make for that and the ability to do that is something that you know some others have done and some others have tried to do and not done um, I think you're obviously seeing it um, with some of the guys that are currently playing right now so again Seth Wickersham on ESPN.com that's a paid article Mark it's a yeah, ESPN plus article yep. okay ESPN plus so again we'll try to get Seth on a little bit later this week um, you think people are just like they don't care whatsoever, or they'll care that it's Andrew Luck's first on the record comments. I think people feel like Andrew Luck 
betrayed them <laughs> because people feel like they have a financial investment or ownership of the franchise itself. And I think that people, that, that, to me, and look, I'm not trying to carry water for Andrew Luck here, but to me, the thing that is about Andrew Luck that people need to remind themselves, I know people want to say like, what well, you know, this is what I've always said, Kevin. The people that say like he quit on his team, he's a loser because he quit, he walked away, he he bailed on his guys, I get all that. I get all the sentiments on it. Okay, I get every one of them. And I ask every one of those people that are driving right now on their way into their job at a law firm, architecture firm, dentist office, teaching a school, driving a school bus, working for the water department, whatever it might be. If you right now stopped at Speedway and walked in and bought yourself a Powerball ticket and tomorrow you found out that it hit for $55 million, would you be at work on Thursday? And if you can simply say, yes, I would, because I would continue to work for the next two years because I gave a commitment to my coworkers that I would help them through the next project, then you have every right to say that Andrew Luck is disloyal. You know, I think, Jake, to that point, what is confusing to fans, which I totally agree with, was Luck's comments about the 2018 season. I've never enjoyed playing football more in my life than this year. I think because he knew that it, it potentially was being taken from him and that's what allowed him that epiphany. But again, that's why I think fans feel that way. Right. Which I, I, I can understand. I mean, Luck had some very public comments. Some very... I, I always felt like Luck was candid in those moments. Um, and I think that is what kind of irked fans. And of course, just how it all played out of, you know, he's on the field doing the pregame warm-ups in the preseason. Um, all of those things. How about Seth Wickersham to wrap the show? How's that? Today? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Boom. Let's do it. Look at Mark Dykton. <laughs> How about that? You talk about the opposite from our open to the show today. Closing it strongly, right? Yeah. I had to carry the show to start, and I'll carry it to close it out. That's fine. Don't mind her- carrying some water every once in a while. Uh, Jake, I would, in fact, be at work the next day to clear out my desk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hell yeah. No offense, guys. Solid work there, Mark, lining up Seth. Thank you. Look at you, man. Slid in his DMs, and he's quick to respond. Well, okay. That's how you get it done. <laughs> Grease and palms. You, is that how you roll in life? Yeah. <laughs> Sliding in DMs is how I got this job, I think. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a lot of swings and misses, right, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, like I called Jake today. Miss. Can you get Andrew right Luck by tomorrow? Oof. That's a that's a tall order. I mean, your call to Jake, though, did... Save us. Woke him up from his sleep apnea Crazy. machine or what'd you have? So for those that are, maybe I shouldn't say it now because our bosses are probably listening now. Um, I, you know, I've done this show now for what, 13 months? Never had any issue whatsoever, including red eyes, all kinds of stuff. I'm not saying that to give myself some credence here, but uh, I apologize to you guys. But for whatever reason, last night, I so I use, uh, I, I use, my body clock just wakes up, right? But I use a sleep machine on my phone, like a sound machine. So it's just a white noise to help me sleep. And then I have my app, my phone has an alarm clock on it, obviously, that wakes up. It's very loud. Um, I woke up this morning at 530, looked at the clock, saw that it was 530 and was like, okay, well, I've got like another, you know, half an hour, went back to sleep. And then 
The next thing I know, Mark, you were calling me, and because you were calling me, it silenced the white noise on my phone, and that silence, ironically enough, is what woke me up. That's When that stops, it's like my body knows that it's not going, and I'm like, I'm getting a phone call. And then I looked at my wrist, and I'm like, 659? That can't be right. It took like two seconds, and then I I can't remember if I answered your call or called you right back. Call me back, yeah. And said, I, you know what? And you, and you said, what did you say? Uh, what did I say? I don't even remember. You go, well, it finally happened. Oh, yeah. The streak is over. And I said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And so you it guys was, had to do the first segment without me. It was fun while it lasted, right? <laughs> the streak is over. And I wondered what possibly could make me sleep so deep, and then I came in here and realized that I'm in here in this pneumonia incubator with you guys, and it probably is my old body is forcing me to sleep. Yeah, right I'm a lot of excuses with that. <laughs> Excuse train right on time. We're on the up and up over here. Uh, Bob Kravitz going to join us next here again. His latest chatting about Jim Harbaugh and the potential there for the Colts to make a run at someone that... Yes, did coach Andrew Luck. I was not always under the impression that those two um, were as close as maybe people thought they were. But nonetheless, we'll chat. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Bob about that next here. Kevin and Corey. Nine o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's the nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern time zone. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton is flying the ship for us. It's Kevin and Quarry, 93.5107.5. The fan joining us now on the Payless Liquors hotline from the athletic is Bob Kravitz. And Bob, we want to talk mostly about the Colts and the possibility of, say, Jim Harbaugh, which I think is a very strong possibility for their coaching vacancy. And I don't want to completely blindside you here because I know it's early in the morning for most. Um, But there is an article on ESPN.com where Andrew Luck finally spoke about his decision uh, on why he walked and I'm it's a very 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 in-depth article but essentially in skimming it what it comes down to is that Andrew Luck basically said look my body got to the point where it was affecting the relationship with my girlfriend soon to be wife they may have been married actually at the time um Mm -hmm. and I think he started to resent football because he realized that the only way that he knew how to have a self-identity was as a quarterback, and it was important to him to start being able to see in himself uh, more of who he was than just a guy that played football. And I don't think that that's necessarily surprising from Andrew Luck. Not at all. Not at all. No, I, I, I really felt that there were some, you know, so much of what we do is, or so much of what we think of ourselves is, you know, uh, tied into what we do. And, yeah, I, I, look, what he was doing was not bringing him joy. And it was making him uh, a person that he didn't like. And the, the, he didn't like the person he saw in the mirror. And it was affecting his uh, his uh, relationship with his girlfriend, now wife. I, I, I said from the very beginning, he did the noble thing. He did the right thing uh, for himself. It sucks for Indianapolis. It sucks for Colts fans, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to take a look at it. I just rolled out of bed, so uh, thanks for uh, the heads up. 
Okay, Bob Kravitz with us here from The Athletic. Bob, your latest on Jim Harbaugh and the Colts should pursue Harbaugh. Um, Just kind of the genesis of this story for you. Is this more of a, this is what I think the Colts should do, or I'm hearing some whispers on either side of the ledger there? No, no whispers. Uh, It's simply me saying that as I look at the landscape of of the NFL and of the college game, uh, he's the guy who I think needs to be their primary target. Uh, whether he will be or not, whether he is already or not, I have absolutely no idea. I, I did reach out to several people who usually put me on this on this on the uh, the correct road, and I got a lot of no no comments. A lot of a lot of people who usually tell me what's going on were not saying anything. So. That tells me there might be something there. That's just my intuitive intuitiveness, uh, my instinct. But um, I, I think that if you want to make a splash hire, that um, it's more than a splash. I mean, Jeff Saturday was a splash, but I don't think he's going to work out. You want to make a splash hire for a guy who's had a ton of success at every level he's been at. I think Harbaugh's the guy. The question is, whether Harbaugh would, A, want to leave Michigan, uh, which he did last year, and, B, come to this crap show because this, this has been a complete disaster. I think, Bob, th- having nothing to base this on other than just tea leaves and gut feeling, uh, I think Jim Irsay had his eye on whether it's Jim Harbaugh or not, I don't know. But I feel like when he knew that Frank Reich was not the guy, that Jim Irsay had somebody in mind immediately. And it wasn't Jeff Saturday. But the Jeff Saturday, that allowed him to get Saturday in the building. And Saturday knew it. And so Saturday was going to man the ship for him and give him an inventory. But that there was somebody specific that he had in mind as opposed to simply, I'm going to post this on monster.com and see who applies. Right, right. No, I, I would agree with you. I Look, these guys... The minute they hire a coach, they, they start compiling a list of coaches who are going to replace them. I mean, that's just the way it is. You always have a list of coaches in your back pocket, whether that's the head coach, assistant coordinators. You always have that, those, that list, that wish list that you're at your, uh, uh, you know, available to you. And so... Uh, that that would not surprise me, and I, I think it's Harbaugh. I, I really do. Uh, you know, Jim wants to make a splash. Um, whoever whoever comes in next, and however it works out with the GM, Jim Jim Ursay has just got to back off. Uh, I think. Look, I don't blame the season on him. Um, I think it went south after they benched Ryan. Uh, although you know Ryan is. You know, they probably would have lost both those games with Matt Ryan. There are no good alternatives. I hear you guys talking about benching Matt Ryan. I'm like, what difference does it make at this point? They're going to lose every game until they get to Houston, regardless of who they play. I mean, you might as well bring Scott Tolzien back at this point. Again, <laughs> Jesus, that's just, imagining that makes my eyes start to bleed a little bit there. Again, Bob Kravitz with us here from The Athletic. I want to go back to a point you made a little bit earlier about Harbaugh and kind of referencing maybe how attractive this job is. I mean, obviously, at some level, Bob, it's one of 32. Right. But without 
a quarterback without potentially a top five, seven pick. We'll see where it ends up falling. And the fact of Jim Mercer's actions have been um, certainly pretty aggressive and meddling here this season in the awkwardness of like a Chris Ballard, Jeff Saturday front all, like whatever, however that all plays out. Uh, do you think that could cause some hesitancy for, you know, very high level candidates of the Harbaugh's or the Sean Payton's of the world? Well, Sean Payton, Sean Payton, when he said he won't, there are certain dysfunctional franchises that he would not even consider. He was looking directly at the Indianapolis Colts directly. Uh, I have talked with uh, uh, people uh, in the New Orleans media who know what what he was referencing. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that he was talking about the Colts first and foremost. So Sean Payton ain't happening. Uh, Harbaugh, you know, he's going to have better opportunities in the Indianapolis Colts. But what we don't know is, you know, his feelings about Indianapolis, his feelings about the Colts, his feelings about Jim Ursay. Um, you know, he, he may have very warm feelings towards all of them and, and want to come back and, and fix this mess. But from a, from a totally objective standpoint, why would you go someplace where it's been a clown show for all, all year long? Um, the owner is meddling. Uh, the GM is very strong-willed, and you don't, you, you know, there's a likelihood he'll be back. So, yeah, this would not be my first choice, certainly, if I was Jim Harbaugh. Bob, do you feel like in the last year, you know, Jim Mercey is a well-respected owner amongst people in football. I don't know about necessarily amongst other owners. I think there might be some resentment about him, but do you feel like in football circles in the last year that Jim Mersey has hurt his reputation. Absolutely. And the thing is, I think that he bolstered his reputation with what he said about Dan Snyder. And then a couple of weeks later, he's uh, mandating the move to Sam Ellinger, uh, which basically was the end of the season. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, you can rip the players all you want and certainly they deserve to be ripped. But I think, I think that was the white flag of surrender, and I don't think they've ever recovered from that. Um, yes, I think Jim Irsay has handled himself terribly uh, this season. I say that as someone who likes and respects him immensely. Um, but it is what it is. You know, I, he, he mandated the move. He got rid of Reich. He got rid of Bray. I mean, it's, you know, he's trying, it's trying to sell all this as collaborative, but I, we're not idiots. You know, we, we, we know where this stuff's coming from. And Bob Kravitz with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, you think better chance Jeff Saturday or Chris Ballard's here next year? I think both. You think both are here? I, I think both are here, yeah. I the, Again, the whispers I'm hearing is that Ballard is back somehow. Personally, I would blow the whole damn thing up. Um, you know, whether Saturday is the guy or not, I don't know. Again, I like people with experience. You know, if I go in for a... For another heart surgery, I'd like a guy who's done it before or a, or a woman who's done it before. Um, you know, I think we have seen the lack of experience bite Jeff in the butt here in the last couple of games. Um, you know, some of the quotes I've seen, uh, for even from Jonathan Taylor, who's, you know, the, the consummate team guy talking about uh, not being prepared for, for some of the curveballs 
that were thrown at them by the Cowboys really I thought were uh, I thought they were focused on on the coaching staff this is just not a very good coaching staff right now so I think both I think both will be back but do I have a strong feeling about it no um, but I think they're gonna find room for Jeff I think there's a golden parachute here for him and I, I unfortunately think that Chris is gonna is gonna be back I just Bob, when it comes to Chris Ballard, you, but go ahead. What's that? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know how you sell that to the fan base, but you know, if you can get Harbaugh in here, that would take some of the sting out of it. Ballard to me looks like a guy that doesn't want to be here, I, and maybe he does. I mean, I'm not, but just his body language, his oh yeah, uh, everything about it from from top to bottom. I I almost feel like. And, and this shouldn't have anything to do with one's football acumen, Bob, but you tell me if I'm being too critical. I feel like Chris Ballard almost it would behoove the Colts to have him go to like media training. I, and, I, and I don't mean that because of us. I'm saying I think fans feel that. Like I think fans have a hard time buying into the Colts because they're starting to resent just kind of the manner in which he carries himself. But is that uh, – am I being too too critical? I think 89% of the time he's been phenomenal with the media, honestly. And, and, and somebody yeah, I don't mean – when I say media training, maybe I, I said that wrong. I just okay. – body language training, like like P, oh, yeah. PR training. You know what I mean? Like just, yeah. just overall presentation amongst – like within the mass communication. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, the, way, the way he acted on the night of Saturday's hiring was uh, really uh, – unfortunate let's just say um he looked like he was undergoing a prostate exam that night and it was not it it was just not a good look um you know i have long thought that ballard would just walk because he's been emasculated by the owner but you know what you'll 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 put up a lot of bs for that paycheck there's only 30 of these jobs so I, I I tend to think he's going to stick around for for a while because he has amassed some good talent. Unfortunately, they're at all the positions that don't really matter as much. Yeah, and again, under contract through twenty twenty six, I believe. Um, exactly. Chris and, and remember, yeah. remember, uh, they kept Pagano on for an additional year because Jim didn't want to be paying both Grixon and Pagano for doing nothing. You think Matt Ryan should be benched, Bob? I think there's a financial component that probably supersedes all of that um, in my thought process there. But do you think we uh, should see the end to his Colts tenure? Well, you, you, somebody's got to explain to me, maybe you, uh, what the financial component is. Because uh, Jim Jim has insisted there's no financial comp- component. He's been very uh, out outward about that. Uh, very adamant is the word I'm looking for, and uh, so what? What is the financial component we're talking about? So here? Jim, I think when Jim has referenced it, he's referred to it as playing time. It's not playing time. There's two bonuses that Ryan's do next March. Um, roster bonuses that add up to like 17 million, and if Yikes. he were to get hurt in these final four games uh, and unable to pass his physical, you would owe him an additional. 17 million for next season on top of the already 12 million that you've guaranteed him for next season if he 
does not get hurt or doesn't uh, you know, play, then you can move him before the start of the new league year and you would not owe him that $17 million. Okay. All right, well, um, I should have known that, but I wasn't aware. Um, yeah, you might at this point, you might as well throw sl- Slinging Sammy out there or even Nick Foles, the uh, prehistoric remains of Nick Foles. At this point, you might as well. I mean, it's not like you're going to uh-huh. win with any of them. You're not going to win with any of them. I mean, you're you're going to win one game. You're going to you're going to beat Houston because Houston's going to be actively trying to, you know, sew up that first pick and get themselves a quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, if if the financial component uh, is what you say it is, and I don't doubt you in the least, um, then you might as well might as well sit them down. But yeah, I mean, at this point, it makes no difference. You're not going to win with any of those three guys. Bob, I look at the Colts situation and I try to be an optimist in terms of thinking about the quick turnaround and maybe it's Jim Harbaugh as the coach. But then I think about the fact that they have no certainty at quarterback. They have uncertainty still at wide receiver. They have uncertainty on their offensive line and they have some certainty defensively but but not maybe as much as we thought. Right. You you tell me what is the answer here? I, I mean, how and they're in a stacked conference. What does the next five years look like for the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, relatively bleak. Um, uh, they, look, they got to get they got to get um, you know their quarterback of the future in this next draft, and I think they sit ninth now. And I was looking at the list, and there are three teams of them that desperately need a quarterback. Although I'm not sure about the Detroit Lions, I mean, Jed, I've heard the Lions are looking going to be in the market for a quarterback. But Jared Goff just put up 40, and he's having a good season. So I, I don't know how desperate they are necessarily. But um, there, there's some talent here. The you know, it's not like the cupboard is completely bare. I think once you get the quarter, the right quarterback, and that's that's the the rub. I think things will fall into place rather rather quickly, but you know I, I think we're looking at a three to four year kind of rebuild because again, you know they're, they're good at left guard, but left guard doesn't win you games. They're they're good uh, in the interior of the defensive line, but that doesn't necessarily win you games in the NFL. So they're, they're in good shape in areas that don't matter. They, they not don't matter, but don't matter quite as much as edge rusher. Um, as quarterback, at wide receiver, those are the areas where they're 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 Bob, wanting. Does Jonathan Taylor most benefit Indianapolis over the next two seasons because of the amount of yardage he can accumulate, or because of the pieces that he can get them if they decide to move on? Oh, I, I would hold on to Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, I, I I still think he's a special a special player. Um, you know, I'd be curious to see what happens next year because, uh, you know, second contracts for running backs are really dicey things. Uh, we saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. We've seen it with a lot of players that those guys just don't last very long. It's a, it's a damn shame, but it's just the way it is. I, I would hold on to him for the time being, but that's a very good question. It sounds like you gave me a column idea. <laughs> Bob, last one from me, shifting over to the Pacers. Considering maybe preseason expectations, you've been more impressed with Benedict Matherin or Andrew Nemhard? 
Wow. You know, we had a story in the Athletic. They asked us all to name our biggest surprise. And, look, I expected Benedict to be a really good player, you know, being the number six pick. But here's Andrew Nemhart, who's the what, first pick in the second round. I think he's 31. He's been tremendous, and he, he just lit it up last night. I would say that Andrew Nemhart has been the, the bigger surprise for the Pacers, just given where he was drafted. He is, he's got kind of a chameleon uh, sort of sense to him as far as his game goes. He fits in beautifully with, with any unit you put out there with him. Um, and he's got kind of this weird old guy game. He's not a great natural athlete necessarily, but uh, he, he, he's great in the pick and roll. I mean, just awesome in the pick and roll. And so, yeah, I think uh, Nemhart's been a bigger surprise. And I'll tell you what, that wasn't a bad trade for Karis LeVert. No. Well, I'll tell you what, Bob, to me, Still Nimhard, got a first-round pick coming from it. Yeah, and Nimhard, to me, the thing that has been most impressive with Nimhard is the fact that he seems to be the one who has the greatest understanding, if there are limitations with him, of what his limitations are. In other words, he's yeah. not trying to do too much, and that's really, really, really rare to see in a rookie. I remember texting Carlisle after a um, preseason game. And I said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll clean it up a little bit. But I said, gosh, that Nemhard, he, he's like, he's like, uh, he's got this wonderful moxie about him. And we, we, we talked on text for a while. He loved his game early on. He, he could see right away that he was going to fit beautifully. And what a great draft pick by Pritchard and, and, and the staff. I mean, you look at some of the deals they made over the years and some of the draft picks this past two years. They've really gotten it together. I mean, Isaiah Jackson hasn't been great, uh, but I think he's going to be a player. The, the the issue is now, guys, they've got to understand it's not about this year. Even though this year is going really well, especially after that, that you know, the wins against the Lakers and the Warriors, um, it's still about next year and beyond. So, I mean, I, as well as Miles is playing. You've still got to move him. Whether Heald is involved in the trade, I don't know. I like what Buddy brings to this team, um, even though he's a little bit older. You know, but I still think you know shooting. Shooting, you can get really old and be a great shooter and, and, and have an impact. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I just hope that they don't fall too far in love with the way they're playing now and, and decide not to uh, think about the future uh, as it relates to Miles Turner and other players. I'll say it every day between now and the trade deadline. If Miles Turner's not going to sign an extension, you have to have to trade him. Have period. To, have to. Period. There's no, there's no, and they know that. They know that. The only thing that worries me is somehow Herb gets involved. And, you know, Herb loves his little team. And... Suddenly, they decide not to do. I just don't see it happening. I, you've got to move Miles Turner, and to Turner's great credit, he's been phenomenal this year. He's been the best he's ever been, and you know he's got an opportunity that he's never had before. And the fact that he's in a contract year doesn't hurt either. Bob, uh, always enjoy our conversations. Enjoy the bye week, and uh, go back to sleep. I'm going back to sleep, boys. See you, Bob. 
That makes two of us. That's Bob Kravitz right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Let me enjoy those conversations with Bob. We have him usually every couple weeks. And again, he was uh, pitching for Jim Harbaugh there. I'm telling you, I think the Colts are. I mean, if Harbaugh wants to coach the Indianapolis Colts, he's going to get the opportunity. I think it comes down to that, right? Uh, kind of the, one of the bigger news items of the day, and we'll have Seth Wickersham on in about 15 minutes. Seth Wickersham, ESPN.com, very well-known writer, an extremely in-depth piece with Andrew Luck, on-the-record quotes, tons of on-the-record information. Uh, it's taken a while for us to kind of scan through it here on the show, but just tremendous detail in there. Uh, basically, Luck in a, in a tell-all um, about what went into his decision to retire before the start of the 2019 season. And we'll have Seth Wickersham on. That article went live, what, 8.30 this morning, something around. And then Mark was able to contact Seth, and he's going to join us here to close out the show. So that'll be after the pop quiz. Before the pop quiz, morning checkdown. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, big news in the NFL last night, not just Tom Brady's win, 17-16. I mean, the Bucks actually won the game, but Tom Brady's their quarterback over the New Orleans Saints that uh, didn't help the Colts in terms of uh, draft status, but also Baker Mayfield released by the Carolina Panthers. Kevin, a lot of people asking me this morning, is there any chance the Colts would pick him up off waivers to finish the year for them? Uh, I say no. I say why. I mean, you have a dysfunctional offense and you're going to bring Baker Mayfield in to learn this dysfunctional offense and expect that he's going to do something with it in four weeks? Not only that, but does Baker Mayfield sign anywhere? Is he done? No, he's going to sign somewhere. So he exposed to waivers. It sounded like he asked for his release yeah. from Carolina. Someone um, will pick him up by the day. So we'll yeah. see who he gets claimed by. But uh, no, I see zero need to make that sort of move. But yeah, Monday Night Football last night. That now keeps the Colts in the ninth position in the draft order heading into their bye week. Uh, the big one from last night here locally, the Pacers with a, what was it, one twelve. 112-104, right? 112-104 over Golden State. So that stood out to me about the game. Obviously, Pacers are missing a ton of guys. Golden State's not missing a ton of guys. Pacers get off to a great start. Golden State responds. Pacers kind of control the third quarter into the fourth. Golden State took the lead on, I think it was three occasions in the fourth quarter, and every single time, Indiana answered. The catalyst of it all, Andrew Nemhard. He had 30 one points, 13 assists, eight rebounds. The guy was taking charges in the fourth quarter. He was defending Steph Curry. Three of 17 was Steph. It was one of the more impressive individual... I don't think this is hyperbole. One of the more impressive individual performances this franchise has seen in quite some time. Considering it's a second-round rookie, you're missing your other two point guards, you're missing Miles Turner, 10-game home win streak for the Warriors, the defending champs, you add all that up. And in game 20 of Nemhard's career, he's doing that. Yeah, totally. And, you know, wasn't Buddy Heald? I mean, nothing against Buddy Heald, right? It wasn't O'Shea Brissett. It wasn't names we're familiar with. I mean, with. it wasn't even Matherin. Yeah, or Matherin. The sixth yeah. overall pick. Right. It was the 30-whatever pick doing it. Uh, unbelievable night. And you look at what he's done now, Jake, in his career. Defending Tyler Hero for the game winner. Stop over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse last month. 
the shot in LeBron's face last Monday night to win that one. And then last night was just 40 minutes. I mean, the Warriors were kind of in awe after the game. Steph Curry was shaking his head like, is this kid really doing that? He, he hit that step back in Steph's face with about three minutes to go. Uh, and that kind of put the game on ice. By the way, in terms of talking about young players, I guess now veteran players in college football. Mark, you can hit the swoosh name. Thank you. So you uh, wanted like a drop from Ursay or something. Four finalists, that's right. Four finalists now for the Heisman Trophy. Georgia's Stetson Bennett, USC's Caleb Williams, who... Um, Mark, are you taking? Are you shifting your Pacers wager on the over/under and putting it all on Caleb Williams or Kevin? I mean, uh, no, I will not be doing that. Because no. what'd you say? If you put down a hundred bucks, you win four dollars. Uh, <laughs> yes, he wins it, Heisman. Ten dollars for forty-five cents. Now the guy's a winner. That's right. So that can get you what? Twelve minutes at a parking meter on Mass Ave. <laughs> uh, TCU's is it Max Dugan or Duggan? Duggan, I believe. That sounds like a Texas way to say it, right? Well, Max Duggan. Uh, he's a good player for TCU. He's one of the finalists as well as C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. Those are your four finalists for the Heisman Trophy. And Caleb Williams is going to win it. Which puts USC into the all-time lead for most Heisman Trophy winners, except for that Reggie Bush won one and then had to give it back, and so therefore that's a weird yeah, answer. It's, it's just, yeah. That's not one of the pop quiz questions. Uh, but it's a Jake Corey pop quiz. Jesus, Kevin. I thought I was just going to blow a gasket there. Okay, It is a Jake Query pop quiz. That is correct. What time did I send that, Mark? 12.44. I was going to say, it had to be postman. right after the game, yeah. I was probably just getting home. Mark was at the casino. So Mark was at the casino, but made it in on time. Jake, doing the pop quiz from his couch, did not make it in on time. I know. Crazy. My apologies. Imagine the Vegas odds on that. (laughs) The pop quiz is next. 239-1070. Jiffy Lube prize pack on the line. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Okay, we got to do it quick because we got a guest that uh, Mark lined up. A really good one at the end of the show. Uh, the guy that broke kind of the story on Andrew Luck breaking his silence about his retirement. So let's get to it, Mark. Uh, what number do you want to go with? Steve. Steve. Yo. What's up, Steve? Steve, you there? Good morning. Good morning, Jake. Good morning, Kevin. Steve, good morning. Good luck. All right, here we go, Steve. We're going to get right to it. You ready? Ready. Question number one. Only three times after 2000 have the Colts had a top 12 pick in the NFL draft, which they may be headed for this year. Quentin Nelson and Andrew Luck were two of those players that were selected inside the top 12. But who was the third? Is it Edron James, Malik Hooker, Dwight Freeney, or Ryan Kelly? Malik Hooker. 
All right, number two, Steve. The leading score for the Pacers last night in their win over Golden State was who? Um, not not Matherin. The other guy. The other guy you want to build a statue to? Aaron Neesmith, Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heald, or Andrew Nemhard. Andrew Nemhart, the little guy statue. Yeah, just a smaller <laughs> statue. Yeah, I don't know if that's politically correct, little guy statue, but <laughs> okay. we'll go with it. Uh, question number three for you, Steve. Purdue will play LSU in the Florida Citrus Bowl. They played the same game, Purdue did, the same bowl game in 2005 when it was then known as the Capital One Bowl. To which SEC team did Purdue lose that bowl game? Is it Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn, or Ole Miss? Tennessee. Very little memory of that game. Uh, number four, speaking of bowl games, Notre Dame is going to be in the Gator Bowl, Steve. Who will they face? Oklahoma State, Kentucky, South Carolina, or Baylor? Uh, South Carolina. Okay. And the last question, Steve. On this date in 1961, this Syracuse halfback became the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy, but tragically he passed of leukemia about 18 months later. Who was it? They made a movie about him called The Express. No answer. That that is uh, okay. The, the er, Polar Ernie Express? Davis or Jim Brown? Ernie Davis. Okay, Ernie Davis. He says uh, the correct answer is for Steve. Ernie Davis, by the way, was correct. So too was South Carolina. Andrew Nimhard was correct. Missed one and three, right? That is correct. Purdue lost the Capital One Bowl to Georgia. They were up, if I'm not mistaken, and then Georgia had a roaring comeback. Dwight Freeney for number one. Dwight Freeney was the 11th pick the year that he was drafted. Malik Hooker, I believe, was drafted 15th overall. Seth Wickersham, the man who has a very in-depth piece on Andrew Luck and why he retired with on-the-record quotes for the first time. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. From Andrew on that, he joins us next. So just about an hour ago... This- Maybe a little more than that, but on ESPN.com, the story was released by the New York Times bestselling author, Seth Wickersham, who writes, of course, for ESPN.com, who spent extensive time with Andrew Luck. He joins us now. Mark was Johnny on the spot in getting him. So, Seth, uh, first and foremost, thanks so much for your time this morning, and let's get right to it. Uh, When exactly was the time period and how much time, I guess, did you spend around Andrew Luck to be able to come up with this very comprehensive piece? Hey, thanks, guys. Um, You know, I visited him a lot of times. Uh, We spoke late last year for the first time, February, May, uh, July, and September. So those are the times that that I saw him. And you you wrote him a letter after his retirement, just kind of saying, yeah, hey, you know, if you ever want to do a tell-all, here I am. Well, I mean, it was just so obvious that when he retired, um, there was going to be a lot of ripple effects from that decision. And, um, you know, any driven person knows that you just don't walk away from something like that. You... Um, it's something that you have to process and that it stays with you. And, you know, you built yourself to be a certain type of person and, 
you know, now that person is gone and you mourn its loss. You have to figure out what's next. And, um, those are the themes I wanted to explore with him. <clears throat> and he wrote me back a very polite email saying like, Hey, I'd love to talk, but you know, might be two months, might be two years. I'm not quite sure when. Um, and we just kind of stayed in touch periodically over the years. Seth, I'm going to do like a book report and then I'm going to have you grade it. Okay. Okay. Um, the overall gist, and I want people to read the article by all means, okay? Because there's a lot of great stuff in there, including, you know, like excursions with them and all kinds Tremendous of stuff. Tremendous detail. Um, but the overall gist that I took from it, and we were on the air, so I'm kind of skimming it, right? Was that Andrew Luck loved the game of football and loved what it afforded him, but Andrew Luck found within him a resentment about football because in his opinion to be the best player that he could be he had to be all in and he started to resent the fact that football was forcing him to be all in in football which was depriving him being Andrew Luck in other areas of his life well kind of I think that it was more he didn't like who he was as that guy I think that like you know, we, we think about Andrew Luck, remember, you know, he was the guy who could have done anything coming out of Stanford. He could have been, you know, an engineer, an architect, a scientist, whatever it might be. And yet he chose to, you know, devote his talents to football when in fact he was a very limited guy. He was a junkie. He, he took that incredibly seriously. And I think he was under so much pressure taking over for Peyton Manning that, you know, he developed a a way of living, a survival mechanism that was pretty ruthless. And it was ruthless, you know, not only towards the outside world where he would, um, you know, sometimes if people were visiting his apartment during the season, he would disappear, go get ready for bed and come out in his boxers and just say goodnight and turn off the lights, telling everyone, you know, that's, that's essentially how he was telling everyone it was time to go. And um, even his, his longtime girlfriend at the time, felt like a silo and a siloed life. Like he just kind of made decisions for her because as, as he told me, you know, when you are a quarterback, you know, you, you simply have to sort of believe, believe certain things. And it's not really the most healthy way to live. And it seeps into other areas of your, of your life. And I think that when he got hurt, all of those things that he had, you know, hardwired himself to be really almost got put into a blender and started spinning faster to the point where he really didn't like who he was um, as a football player. Again, Seth Wickersham is with us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Seth's latest, again, really the gold standard for in-depth writing, uh, ESPN.com. Andrew Luck reveals why he walked away from the NFL. First on-the-record quotes we have from Luck throughout the last couple of years. Um, again, just scanning this, Seth, but I think fans, one of the biggest issues or, you know, just kind of disagreements with luck is the timing of the retirement two weeks before the start of that 2019 season. And it sounded like Andrew Luck has a lot of regret over that. I think that he wishes if he could go back, I think that he wishes he had retired right after that 2018 season. Um, you know, they had, he had come back. He had played terrific, won a playoff game, and um, I think that he wishes he had just walked away then. He had accomplished everything that he wanted to do. He had come back from the shoulder injury, which derailed his career, and played at a high level. Um, And his foot was bothering him. But he kind of, again, went back to this path of... um, 
you know, who he was as an injured quarterback and not liking who that was. And it was a slow reversion, but he was doing it nonetheless. And, um, fast forward years later, he's speaking to a high school football team in Colorado and he asked questions, you know, for questions. And the first question he gets is, uh, you know, a little kid who asked him like, well, what's the biggest regret of your career? And he's like, kind of like, you know, cussing in his head. He's like, you know, I wanted a softball. You got to ask me this right off the bat. But he did. He tells this high school team something he had never told the city of Indianapolis or, or anything until now, which is that he regretted the timing of his of his retirement. Most interesting anecdote for you in talking with Andrew? Um, I mean, there's just a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to pick one. I think that, like, obviously... When he disappeared and he goes to Holland to try to rehab his shoulder midway through the 2017 season, you know, that was some of the reporting I really found interesting because he was working with this trainer named Willem Kramer. And he had known Willem for years through a connection with his dad. But, um, and, and, you know, Willem would come visit him periodically after he hurt his shoulder to massage his shoulder and try to get it ready to go. And finally, like through the 2017 season where Andrew's not playing, Andrew calls him and says, Hey, can you come back and try to get my shoulder in shape so I can try to play this year? And Willem says, no. And Andrew Luck was not used to hearing no from people. And he said, you need to get out of that. You know, you're under too much pressure, too much stress. You need to go somewhere where it's just you, Nicole and your shoulder. And you're working on that. And, um, so he goes to Holland, and the very first day he shows up at this PT facility, he tries to do a drill called Snow Angels, where he has to lift a two-and-a-half-pound weight on his back and you know mimic the Snow Angel, and he couldn't do it with his right arm. That's how damaged his right shoulder was. And he's despondent that night, and he just says, you know, I don't know if I can do this. And um, it took a while, but what Kramer ended up doing was kind of opening Andrew's eyes and letting him allow himself to believe that he was something more than just a quarterback, that he was actually a person, that he was okay for him to express himself and to share how he feels about things. And it was a real transformational six or seven weeks in Holland. And I think that like that stuff, learning about that transformation, I think was just one of the most fascinating things that I did in the story. Seth, you just touched on this, but I wanted to circle back to it because there is so much, I think in Indianapolis for people, it's not even so much of what Andrew Luck deprived them, if you will, because people feel like they have this and, you know, like, hey, we were going to win Super Bowls and whatever else, but the manner in which he did it in terms of the timing, I don't have a problem with that personally, but um, can you elaborate on Andrew Luck's, I guess, retrospective emotion on the time in which he retired and is did it take him a while to perhaps grasp what that meant to the fan base um you know it just came together quickly and um you know he's telling you know teammates the week leading up to um uh you know his retirement and you know again they had planned this ceremony and then it gets out during the game. And I mean, he just felt stuck. The last couple minutes of a preseason game, as we all know, are the longest minutes in sports. And word had gotten out, all the cameras on him, and he had nowhere to go. He could not do anything. And, um, you know, he ends up rushing off the field into the locker room to tell the team, many of whom didn't know that he was going to walk away. He had told some people, but not everybody. And then, you know, he's rushed up there to give his speech. 
he goes home that night and you know the next morning in the next afternoon you know he's kind of like in a fog in a cognitive fog you know he doesn't know what to do what's the first day of my life not as a quarterback what do i do he tried to put together a crib for um you know their daughter who was on the way couldn't figure out where couldn't find where the screwdriver was in the house because obviously like he was always working he was never putting things together and finally that afternoon he stepped in the shower and he just started crying and i think that the profound unburdening even if he couldn't quite describe all of his emotions i think really hit him then get it's a must read seth wickersham is with us right now um espn.com why andrew luck and honestly more than anything it really is just kind of a time frame over andrew luck's entire career super introspective and details everything from luck and his family and those close to him on what he was going through um in trying to play the game of football seth is with us right now um do you think he ever, ever entertained any thought of coming back? Not seriously, but I think that like it took him a while, but I think he finally figured out that you know he missed the game because he had fallen out of love with it. And in the process of falling back in love with it, it took a while. It took years. But it, it, accepting that it's a part of who he is and that he loves it and that you know, sports should be part of his life going forward because he didn't know what to do. You know, he was a stay-at-home dad, which he enjoyed doing, but he wanted a career. And you know, he thought about maybe buying into an MLS team, starting a venture capital fund. Um, he thought about joining Ski Patrol because he, he loves skiing so much. Um, you know, but he ended up, like, circling back and just thinking that maybe he wants to be a high school football coach. And, um, uh, you know, I think that, like, Again, the process of like trying to allow football back into his life has been something that you know that's taken years. Is there anything he would not answer on the record? He answered everything. In terms of that, did he get into you know around here the whole snowboarding accident that compounded his shoulder injury and his love yeah, of skiing? You talked about it. it didn't. Yeah, it was. It was a. It, you know. It was a it was an unforced error, but it was it didn't mess up his shoulder worse. It kind of added to the problem, like you said, compounded it. But it wasn't something that like you know materially impacted his rehab or anything like that. I think that like again, his shoulder wasn't working right. It didn't help, definitely, but it wouldn't have changed the trajectory of his career if he hadn't been at snowboarding. Lastly, Seth, do you feel like in talking to Andrew Luck? Is Andrew, and I don't mean this in a snide way at all, do you feel like Andrew Luck now is a guy that is at peace? I think he's getting there. Again, it's like, you know, wanting to, you know, what does he do for the rest of his life? And, you know, is, high, is coaching high school football what, what indeed he wants to do? I, I, I think that that's it, but I don't know. I mean, I think he, he, you know, he's been under so much pressure for so long. And I think that what he wants more than anything is a little bit of space and the ability to uh, pick his profession and his next step without the overwhelming crush of it being Andrew Luck doing something. And we'll see how that plays out. Uh, speaking of high school, by the way, Seth, you went to the same high school as the guy that invented Wikipedia. So did you go to service high school? I did. Yeah. The guy invented Wikipedia? I didn't know this. Yeah, so I was Look wondering, like, did, did you actually use textbooks, or did you guys were you required to research everything via Wikipedia, which is all-knowing? 
I, I had no idea that the founder of Wikipedia is a service high Cougar graduate. But, <laughs> That's right. Go know, Cougars, Larry, go. Larry Sanger, yeah, Mark yeah. Slareth, and yourself, right? All yeah, service rest, Anchorage, Alaska. Rest assured that we use textbooks. However, I can't say that I opened them or made the best use of them at, the, at all the time during my life there. But, um, yeah, I had no idea. Well, I guess on that note, Seth, I will end with this. Um, in five years, will Andrew Luck be the head football coach of the Breckenridge Broncos and then a ski, you know, instructor in the, you know, January type months? I could see that. I could see that. I mean, I think that also it's not just coaching, it's teaching that I think he has a passion for. Remember his book club. I mean, he's long had a lot of thoughts about, you know, educating young people. And I think that, like, that's something that, he'll want to do. I mean, again, he's back at Stanford. He's getting his master's in education. And I think those are like the, the things that he's thinking about in terms of what he wants to do. Hey, lastly, real quick, we got like one minute left, Seth. Did Andrew Luck express any regret or remorse towards, or ill will, I guess, towards Adam Schefter for the timing in which Schefter broke that news? And admittedly that's Schefter's job. I think he was disappointed that it got out. Cause I think that, you know, he's someone who often felt that he wasn't in control of a lot of things in his life. But um, you know, it—you it, know—it it was a huge story, and um, you know, it, it got out when it did. So it didn't—he didn't get to do his retirement as he wanted, which I think he was disappointed about. But um, I think that's—you know—that's it. Seth, outstanding stuff. Uh, I hope Indy treated you well. I assume you've made quite a few stops here over the last year or so. Great, great work. And I uh, appreciate you hopping on on short notice. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Seth Wickersham right there, Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, the first on-the-record comments from Andrew Luck you know, about his own retirement. On that question you just asked him, Jake, there at the end, um, I was told that the plan was to have that retirement press conference on the Friday before the Chicago game. And I believe there were some travel issues in getting Oliver Luck and the Luck family into Indianapolis for that press conference. That's why they then decided to postpone it to Sunday. The And I get it, the people that think that it was a selfish timing of Andrew Luck. But the other side of that is this, and that is that if Andrew Luck knew that he was both physically and psychologically done, then what would have been the right timing? I, you know, Would it have been more selfish to go through the the process and lead everybody on i mean there's just there's no good time for it i i, I, think I get it people want the february march let the colts I, have an entire I get off that. season i get to... that but i don't know kevin in february march i don't know that he knew that his body was going to, no. to throw him the last minute curveball that it did because he worked so hard as seth was talking about to come back from the shoulder injury and everything that went into that and then just when he's ready to basically when he's come at peace with the fact that his body's brought him back Back, and then boom the lower leg injury happens and and he knows that he's getting ready to go back into that rehab that leads to everything that psychologically went into it in the rehabilitation and i just think he thought to himself i can't go through this again yeah and impacting too many relationships in correct. his life and he was adding more titles to him he just added the title of husband and was about to add the title of a father and um that is i think what Luck decided to do with all of that. So, again, I haven't read it all, but about 75 80% of the way through it. Really, really strong from Seth Wickersham there. So, Mark, good work on getting that. Uh, Jake, the YouTube chat asked earlier if we all should call you tomorrow around, was it 6 a.m.? 
That's all Mark suggested in the YouTube yeah, sure. chat. That's cool. Dialed up. Be a lot of phone calls. You give your number out all the time. So. Oh, of all the yeah, sure. I don't. Do you guys do your phone on loud when you go to bed? No, because it turned because I have the sound machine on. But when when I got the call, it silenced the sound machine. That's what woke me up. So if anybody calls you, that would happen. Yes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, you probably shouldn't broadcast over the air. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, podcast will be up. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow.